welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 74th episode, our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. Regular listeners to the podcast will be familiar with Jonathan as he's by far our most frequent guest. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episodes 2, 10, 20, 21, 29, 30, 31, 32, 34, 35, 43, 48, 51, 56, and 64 of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He is an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for 10 years, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. And now on to the show. Hello. Hello. Hey, John. Hey, Bob. What's up? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Hey. Yeah, can you hear me okay here? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so lots of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I may have alluded to some of it last night on message. Yeah. Oh. So anyways, basically, <laughs> yeah, at the school, my, uh, my girlfriend, one of the Chinese teachers, is getting let go. Oh, yeah? Uh... Yeah, it's pretty bad. Oh. And she's like against all the Koreans now. She doesn't like any of the Korean teachers, basically, because she thinks they're all out to get her. Uh, my girlfriend's a fucking paranoid schizophrenia. Phreniac, uh, she's a schizo... Hold on. <laughs> Damn it. My, and my girlfriend is a fucking paranoid schizophrenic. A schizophreniac now. Oh. And my and my boss is like, uh, let me let me fire Chacha's girlfriend and see if I can cock block the Chach the way I cock blocked the Chach for like six months before. <laughs> and I don't want to like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be cock blocked like Steve Bannon. Um, you know, I'm not Steve Bannon. I'm not trying to. I'm not. You know, I'm not trying to suck my own cock here. I'm not, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to build my own. <laughs> I'm not trying to build my own brand off the strength of the Hagwon. I'm just here to serve the Hagwon, okay? <laughs> Welcome to the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. A little more than a week ago, the New Yorker's Ryan Lizza got a late-night phone call that turned out to have fateful consequences. Who leaked that to you? Oh, man, I can't tell you that. Uh, what's that? I can't tell you that. But okay, so I'm just gonna. What I'm gonna do is I'll, I will eliminate everybody in the comms team and we'll start over. So, <laughs> so it's no problem. So, so I asked these guys not to leak anything, and they can't help themselves. So we'll eliminate everybody. So was somebody somebody in the comms team leaked that to you? I can't. That's Anthony Scaramucci just days into his appointment as communications director. He wanted to know who had given Liz a certain piece of information, very minor information about dinner at the White House and who was there. But the leaking thing had him really angry. Okay, but you're an American citizen. This is a major catastrophe for the American country. So so I'm asking you as an American patriot to give me a sense for a leak. <laughs> All I, the only thing I can tell you is two, is two people in the White House who I know wouldn't lie to me. You know what I mean? Uh, who? Come on. I can't tell you, buddy. You know I can't do that. You know, so go. You can, you can give me. Is it? Is an assistant to the? If you told is it an assistant to the? Is it assistant to the president? In the course of the conversation, he savaged his rivals in the White House. He accused Reince Priebus of being a leaker, and Priebus was fired within two days. Some of what Scaramucci said to Ryan Lissa was stunning, even by the standards of the Trump administration. 
And Wright is a fucking paranoid schizophrenic, paranoiac. And what he's going to do is, oh, maybe Bill Shine's coming. So let me leak the fucking thing and see if I can cockblock these people the way I cockblocked Scaramucci for six months. Okay, but, but he leaked the CFIA stuff on me. Uh, you know, my financial disclosure has been leaked to Politico, yeah, which, is a fi- which, yeah, which is a felony. Ryan wrote a story for NewYorker.com that included some words that we can't say on the air. But I wanted to ask you if you wanted to be profiled. I don't. I don't want to be profiled. Well, just I'm what you're Steve trying Bannon. to do. What you're trying to do. I'm not. I'm not Steve Bannon. No. I'm not trying to suck my own cock. I'm not <laughs> trying to build my own brand off the fucking strength of the president. Yeah, but don't I'm here to serve the country. Good, don't. At first, the reaction from the White House was more or less nothing, or seemed to be. But then Scaramucci was fired as communications director after a term that lasted a total of 10 days. Okay, the mood showed up a week ago. This is going to get cleaned up very shortly, okay, because I nailed these guys. I got digital fingerprints on everything that they've done through the FBI and the fucking Department of Justice. What's the thing? Oh, well, the felony, they're going to get prosecuted probably for the felony. They'll probably get prosecuted for that. Okay. Yeah. Wow. They lie detector stars. This whole conversation, the spirit of it is off the record, right? And that, that's what I'm feeling, right? <laughs> well, we, we've never established that. You, you know. <laughs> I, I thought that was, you know, you know, Pison to Pison or something. <laughs> kind of, come on. The, uh, the, uh, the Omerto or the, uh, what do you, what do you call it? <laughs> What's the code of silence? Uh, Isn't there something like that? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, the New York Times, New York Post, you guys have that, right? Mm-hmm. The Kokomo <laughs> Tribune. Uh-huh. All of it. <laughs> mm. So, anyways, that's kind of my, like, that's kind of my cold opener or whatever, I guess. <laughs> Alluding to various things in my personal life as well as, you know, <clears throat> um, domestic political events in America. Mm-hmm. So, what's up with you? Oh, nothing much. Uh, yeah, just uh, like you said, just crazy, crazy times. And yeah, I just uh, like literally, I like, just look at Twitter in the morning, and it's just like I just need to go back to sleep. <laughs> I can't handle it. So uh, it's been it's been pretty terrifying on this end. I mean, uh, what has it been like in South Korea lately? Oh, I don't know. <clears throat> I still got a job to do. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, I don't know. It's been pretty like tense. I mean, obviously, this guy's Trump and uh, Kim Jong Un are uh, kind of made for each other and stuff. And they're both, you know, have a cult of personality going and stuff. And they both. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully, they're both too scared to actually like ruin their legacy by by pulling a trigger somewhere. But mm-hmm. but. I don't know. It's obviously intense, and <clears throat> I think I saw today somewhere that uh, North Korea and America have been talking for several months through back channels, actually. Mm-hmm. So it seems like there's actually some communication going on, so maybe this is just kind of like a public show or something. I don't know. Oh, it's definitely a public show. I mean, you've got Trump, who uh, a lot of people forget he's in the WWE or F, depending on what time period you're talking about, Hall of Fame. Um, so, you know, he... Uh, he has his experience in the professional wrestling world. Um, and this is a very professional wrestling type of thing. You know, it's always with, like, the, the guy with the microphone, and he's, like, uh, 
Let me tell your brother. <laughs> yeah. One more thing. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. He has been very threatening uh, beyond a normal statement. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, we can talk about, like, the, you know, statements or whatever, but I think the biggest thing that Republicans should just ruminate on right now is, is this uh, constant drawing of this red line that continues to be crossed and how much they hit Obama for that, doing that, well, that one time with Syria. And now, uh, yeah. guess what? We've, we've established, I think, twice in the space of two days now, uh, one week for each day, we've, we've done this now, where... If, uh, Trump's like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll insert the quote here, but, you know, the original Fire and Fury quote, um, you know, and he said, if they say one more thing, well, guess what? Anyone that pays attention to anything, they're going to say crazy stuff on the daily. It doesn't matter. They're going to, that's what they're stocking trade. So, of course, they said, oh, yeah, well, we're going to bomb Guam. And they're like... And so, yeah, so they said it, so they made another threat. What are you going to do? Nothing. You're just going to make another threat, and they're going to cross or step over the line, and you're, you're boxing yourself in where you might do something rash just to get out of this box. Yeah. <clears throat> and I've, you know, I think I'm on the record saying I thought it was one of Obama's biggest mistakes not enforcing the red line in Syria. It is, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think, I, I think a lot of the stuff with Russia could have probably been possibly been avoided um if we hadn't you know ceded that ground to them and let them take over that region basically so mm-hmm. Ugh. yeah and it's you know another funny thing is you know all these people like frankly there were people on the right and the left who are you know suddenly you know america first people who are like oh we don't want to get involved in foreign wars and hillary's likely liable to get us involved in a nuclear <laughs> war with uh, Russia. I mean, mm-hmm. if she starts bombing in Syria and she accidentally kills some Russians who may or may not be right. there or something, then that could start a nuclear war. And it's like, it was always like, no, it couldn't. <laughs> no, it, no, it wouldn't. We could like, we could fight an entire proxy war with the Russians in Syria probably. And there wouldn't be any nuclear stuff going off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, the Dowd in the New York Times uh, had a column that was like the headline was uh, Donald the Dove, Hillary the Hawk. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, and of course now, you know, the lie is being put to all that, that this guy was the safer option as far as international stuff. Yeah. It's just amazing. The the other thing, uh, did you see today where apparently military options are now on the table in Venezuela? (laughs) Oh, good. Let's, let's fight like a five front war. (laughs) Considering for Venezuela, what options are on the table right now to deal with this mess? We have many options for Venezuela. And by the way, I'm not going to rule out a military option. We have many options for Venezuela. This is our neighbor. This is, you know, we're all over the world. And we have troops all over the world in places that are very, very far away. Venezuela is not very far away. And the people are suffering. And they're dying. We have many options for Venezuela, including a possible military option, if necessary. Say? 
That would be a U.S.-led military operation? We don't talk about it, but a military operation and military option is certainly something that we could pursue. It's like, I'll fight everybody in the room. <laughs> yeah. I am not, you know, personally aware of exactly what's going on in Venezuela, but um, mm -hmm. I think my dad was saying that some guy who's working at a local place down there, some bar or grill or something in Asheville that he knows about, or Fairview down in North Carolina, is like kind of a refugee, political refugee from Venezuela and stuff, and it's pretty bad down there, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I saw that, you know, the the leader of Venezuela had rounded up his political opponents or something and jailed them or something like that a few days ago or before the election mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw like some sort of thing on Facebook where somebody firebombed a police motorcycle motorcade or something. And I don't know. Yeah, it seems pretty messy, what's, whatever's going on down there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know why Trump is like threatening to get involved down there. I mean, I don't know to what degree. I mean, <clears throat> obviously America has less, you know, interest in that place that country in particular let alone that region perhaps than they do in you know east asia aside from the fact that it's in the american hemisphere but i mean you know i mean south korea and japan and taiwan i mean these are american allies right mm -hmm. uh so yeah it's just uh i don't know it's, i i gotta think that Mueller is getting close uh to something because uh we uh, should probably at some point talk about the uh, uh, early before dawn search warrant executed at the one of the homes of uh, Paul Manafort. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, um, but anyway, whatever order you want to talk about all that, and but yeah, I mean, basically, it's it's I think he's you know, using this as an opportunity to distract from a very real crisis in administration. So. Yeah, yeah, I was, you know, I was talking to some Chinese guy on the subway here a few weeks ago, like about a week or so ago, that was like, um, he was in Korea on business, and somehow we got to talking about energy policy or something, because he works for a, he works for an energy, like, company or something like that or something, and he's like, uh, I don't think anything bad will happen with China and North Korea, you know, I said, why not? And he's like, well, I just, I don't know, it just never does and stuff, and I was like, well, Donald Trump has got huge domestic scandals <clears throat> and at some point he may he may wise up and realize that starting a war would be the smartest thing he could possibly do for himself domestically potentially I mean he might be impeached immediately but chances are just as well that Americans would rally around the president to some degree or you know more more Americans than are currently rallying around him mm -hmm. if we suddenly found ourselves in a war with North Korea and <clears throat> And then just, you know, over the last week, we've seen the escalation in the war of words and stuff. So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> Obviously, it would be a stupid move. But from Trump's perspective, it could be great because <clears throat> Russia, you know, is not such a big news item if you're, you know, in a hot war with another country all of a sudden. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I saw the news that they had, the FBI had raided Paul Man one of Paul Manafort's homes or something. Mm-hmm. Which seems like a good step. I don't know why they didn't do that on day one. I, you know, I know they always say like, well, you need probable cause. You need like a judge to sign off on a warrant or whatever they're going to say. But like the thing is, if these were not like, you know, top White House officials and so forth who are under investigation, 
can you imagine how quickly the police would be kicking down everybody's door? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, pretty unbelievable know. the time gaps because it's like if you're going to destroy something, you do it right away. Wouldn't well, you have any laundry stuff laying around? I mean, I guess yeah. The whole thing that always is, you know, is like Nixon's takes. He kept those the whole time, so. I don't yeah, know. I mean sometimes people keep them. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. That was a different time, and like nothing like this had ever happened before. And he may have been a more sentimental person or something than Trump is. Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, they've been like, there's been you know an investigation going on for however long it's been going on. It seems like some aspects of the investigation of the Russian campaign have been going for like a year into the primary before like things even got to the the final vote. I could be wrong, uh, but, um, you know, it, since the inauguration, I mean, they've given the guy seven months to delete things or throw things away or burn tapes or whatever. I mean, there, there are no tapes anymore, but whatever there's going to be. But was, I think they, they figured out that Paul Manafort or Paul Manafort's son was the one who leaked the information about the Russian meeting with, was it Don Jr.? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And Jared Kushner and... I forget, was Paul Manafort there? Or I think uh, I maybe he was there too. Like eight to ten people there. Um, yeah, you know. well, a lot of them were Russians, so, yeah. or former Russians, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah that, that thing was an amazing thing, too. I mean, that just shows the Trump progression. It's always just like, deny until you die. You don't admit anything ahead of time, and only admit what you have to admit. And it doesn't matter how bad it looks in retrospect, just like, don't give anything up, just keep, don't. Don't, don't, you know, and then just like more comes out, more comes out, more comes out. Story keeps changing, you know. It's like, yeah. Uh, this is so innocent. Why does the story keep changing? They're like, oh, it never happened. Oh, it was about adoptions. Wait, adoptions is code for the Magnitsky Act, which is uh, really targeted against Russian oligarchs' bank accounts, and and Putin and his current point gone, and they used uh, adoptions yeah. as a way to get at that because they want to retaliate so it's not really the issue but they're making it the issue and it's uh, all this like distraction and it's actually about this thing and it now comes out that you know they say that they are from the Russian government supporting the Trump campaign and they have damaging info on Hillary Clinton and Don Jr. instead of running to the FBI says of course I love it so um, and he you yeah. know, exercises yeah. transparency by releasing his emails at the exact same time that the story comes out with the emails, and everyone's like, oh, let's pat him on the back for having some great transparency there. And it's like, he hand was forced, he did this simultaneous to it coming out from somewhere else. So it wasn't exactly like the height of like George Washington in the cherry tree. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I mean, he released it right before the New York times said they were going to release it. So he was, mm-hmm. you know, he was beating the story by like 12 hours or a day I, at I best. I close, think I thought it was closer than that. I thought it was like minutes, but, um, I could be wrong. Anyway. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. It wasn't, well, yeah. But I think the media is still being way too credulous with these guys. I mean, like, uh, you know, like, I mean, everybody seems to accept that, Oh, well they, oh, well, I guess it's okay. Okay, it's possible that the Russians dated them into this meeting with promises of info on Hillary, and then when they got there, they they conspicuously said nothing about Hillary, and they just started talking about the adoption issue or whatever and sanctions and stuff, which you know, which would be a case where they've got blackmail material on these people because they agreed to come to this meeting under the different uh, pretenses, which is you know, 
again, they say, well, the meeting didn't didn't pan out and stuff. So we're not guilty of anything because they didn't provide us anything that we wanted, which would have been illegal. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, but you wanted it and you tried to get it and you would have taken it and so forth. <laughs> it's like, um, but I mean, the only reason, the only thing that, the only proof that we have that they didn't discuss stuff about Hillary at the time is the the people's word who was in the room, right? Yeah. I mean, why are we why are we still believing everybody who was in that room who has a reason to still lie about it? Um, you know, why are we taking them at, <laughs> at their word that they never discussed Hillary in the room? I mean, I don't know. You know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Uh, but it's like, I mean, it's it's just a thing again where the media is. Uh, you know, choosing to go with the story that all the conspirators have agreed upon, mm-hmm. that nothing about Hillary was discussed in the room. Like, I mean, maybe it was. How do we know it wasn't? Right. Do we have any in- independent confirmation that Hillary was not discussed in the room? Because I guarantee probably Hillary was discussed at some point. Well, and then, uh, of course, you've got the Trump speech later that same day the, of the meeting where he first mentions, oh, we're some big things coming out of Hillary, I guarantee you. I am going to give a major speech on probably Monday of next week, and we're going to be discussing all of the things that have taken place with the Clintons. I think you're going to find it very informative and very, very interesting. Um, yeah, and I, I seem to remember that, uh, that what's his name, the uh, Nixon guy with the guy, Nixon tattoo on his back? Uh, Roger Stone. Yeah, I seem to remember Roger Stone. A lot of his posts on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, where he's saying like something big's coming. We got some stuff. You know, Hillary's in big trouble now. Mm-hmm. Like those things were pretty well timed with the WikiLeaks stuff. Oh yeah. And I'll say during the campaign, I thought the stuff about WikiLeaks working in concert with the Russians was unimportant or a distraction or a smear or incidental. Uh, there were different things. I mean, I, I figure. I mean, yeah, okay. Even if they did get the information from the Russians. If their information is true, it's still, you know, damaging. But I think now we're starting to realize that Wikipedia was basically working with or working for the Russians the entire time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a freedom of information thing. It was a, like an active spying campaign that was, you know, had a very specific goal in mind, mm-hmm. which was either to, you know, get Trump elected or totally delegitimize the the, the election itself if Hillary won. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, not doing anything to stop it happening in 2018 or 2020 or any other election. Like, so. Yeah, as we always do, we forgot all the stuff about the campaign. Like, I mean, are we, is anybody talking about the uh, the electoral college at this point? Is anybody talking about you know? I think uh, our more you know, real time Bill recently said that it should be abolished, but of course he would say that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you about this. You say, and I think you're absolutely right about this, that we have to, if we're going to fix climate, we have to fix our democracy first. Now, when you won slash lost the election, you got 500,000 more votes Mm. than the guy who took over. Hillary got 3 million more votes. This trend is not going in the right direction. This thing where we get the most votes and they get to be president... That's a pattern now, and it's not going in the right direction. How do we stop that? Well, I do think it's time to get rid of the Electoral College and go to a popular vote for president. But 
but that's going back... A, that's a constitutional amendment that... Well, it... Uh, no? That's one way to do it. There's also an initiative uh, to have a compact among the states. It started here in California. Right. It, it, it could work. Yeah, yeah, we should, it should be gotten rid of. I think they really should have, the Democrats should have struck early in Trump's administration because Trump said something like, um, you know, the, uh, I mean, Trump seems to believe that he won the popular vote. <laughs> and he said, like, you know, uh, won the electoral college much harder than the popular vote even, or something like that, or whatever he said. But, like, he said some bad things about the electoral college even after it was the only reason that he won. So the Democrats should have jumped on that and said, hey, you want to get some bipartisan stuff done, let's get rid of the Electoral College, and you can win it outright in 2020, right? And if he would, have, he would have either been revealed to be a liar at that point, which wouldn't be surprising anyways, or he would have gone ahead with it and, you know, taken away something that has allowed the Republican Party to win elections in the past that they would not have otherwise won, going back, you know, 17 years, basically. What do you think about the Democratic Party not knowing lots enough in Trump world? Um, you know, there was a uh, thing where there'd be purple seed and uh, change of policy and now fund candidates in red states that don't support abortion uh, or support they didn't uh, do that. Um, on that, you know, the, they rolled out a new Democratic Party platform, like a better deal or something. Um, and they didn't have um. single payer health care. In that, you know, you know, I wasn't you know, in the platform. So, um, what do you think? Are they, I mean, is it a fury test that we're, we're imposing on ourselves to ask them to be a little more true to their roots or what? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, it's very complicated, I would say. Like, I mean, like, um, I think, you know, the Democratic Party is continuing to disappoint. You know, they're continuing to try to, like, sideline the Bernie wing and bring in all these other people. I've read so many pieces the, over the past couple of weeks about, oh, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of excitement. Everybody's talking about, like, Kamala Harris, right? And I'm like, no, they're not. I don't know anybody who's talking about her. All I see are fucking think pieces written in all these, like, you know, the Daily Beast and Salon and HuffPost and all these left-wing places that are talking about her. I don't know anybody, you know, I'm not in America on the ground, but I don't know any Democrats in Korea who are talking about this person like, man, we really need to run her in 2020. <laughs> Nobody's talking about that. It, you know, it's it's not a thing. They're trying to make it a thing, and the thing is not happening, I don't think. But, um, yeah, they. I mean, they want to... They want to kind of like whistle past the graveyard on stuff like single payer health care and stuff like that. I mean, like in Cory Booker or whoever. And I, I like the fact that, you know, Cory Booker tried to make a nationwide like marijuana legalization rule or whatever. But, you know, somebody else pointed out, I don't know where I read that or heard that. But like, you know, the, the fact is he made that rule when he knows that it's not going to be taken up. The Republicans are not going to go for it. The Democrats don't have the power to go for it, even if everybody in the Democratic Party were going to go for it. So, it, yeah, it's a popular thing to say when you know that nothing is ever going to come of it, right? Yeah, but you could say the same thing for uh, Trump's uh, legal immigration crackdown that he's pushing via Stephen Miller, his own voice self. Stephen Miller is three years younger than me, that's out. Yeah, he looks like he's about 15 years older, probably too, but man, what a douche. Yeah, I can't stand that guy. Uh, 
really annoying. Just, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. He, what did they let him? They let him do his own his own uh, his own media thing the other day. His own media meet and greet or whatever. A couple weeks ago. Yeah. So I will give, yes. Uh, what you're proposing or what the president's proposing here does not sound like it's in keeping with American tradition when it comes to immigration. The Statue of Liberty says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. doesn't say anything about speaking English or being able to uh, be a computer programmer. Uh, aren't you trying to change what it means to be an immigrant coming into this country if, if you're telling them uh, you have to speak English? Uh, can't people learn how to speak English when they get here? Well, first of all, right now it's a requirement that to be naturalized you have to speak English. So the notion that speaking English wouldn't be a part of our immigration systems would be actually very ahistorical. Secondly, I don't want to get off into a whole thing about history here, but the Statue of Liberty is a symbol of liberty enlightening the world. It's a symbol of American liberty lighting the world. The poem that you're referring to that was added later is not actually part of the original Statue of Liberty, but more fundamentally, the so history, saying, so they, but saying, more fundamentally, you're saying the that history that does not represent. I'm saying that I'm saying that the notion. I'm saying the notion that the. I'm saying the notion. I'm sorry. No, that you're, like, you're, that Jim. Like, let me ask you a question. That sounds like some uh, national park revisionism. No, so what I'm asking you is. The Statue of Liberty Jim, has always Jim, been let me ask you a question. of hope to the world. Jim, for people to send. Jim, do you believe to this country? Jim, and they're not always going to speak English, Stephen. Jim, do you believe? They're not always going to be highly skilled. They're not always going to be. Jim, 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 I appreciate your speech. Jim, I appreciate your speech, so let's let's talk about this. It was a, it was a Jim, let's talk about this. In 1970, when we let in 300,000 people a year, was that violating or not violating the Statue of Liberty law of the land? In, 19, in the 1990s, when it was half a million a year, was it violating or not violating the Statue of Liberty law of the land? Was it violating? When it was 700,000 a year, no, tell me what years, tell me what years, tell me what years meet, tell me what years meet Jim Acosta's definition of the Statue of Liberty poem, Law of the Land. So you're saying a million a year is the Statue of Liberty number. 900,000 violates it, 800,000 violates it. You're sort of bringing a Jim. press one for English philosophy here to Jim. immigration, and that's never for been Jim. what the United States has been about, Steve. That I mean, you're, but you're also, your, your statement's also shockingly ahistorical in another respect, too, which is if you look at the history of immigration, it's actually ebbed and flowed. We've had periods of very large waves, followed by periods of less immigration and more immigration, and during the, we're we've had a period of immigration right now, the yeah, it wants to build it's a wall, you want to bring about a sweeping Change to Surely, the Jim, you don't actually think that a wall affects green card policy. You couldn't possibly believe that, do you? Actually, the notion that you actually think immigration is at a historic law, the foreign-born population in the United States today, the Jim, Jim, talk, talking about how border crossings. Do you really? I, mean, I want to be serious, Jim. Do you really at CNN not know the difference between green card policy and illegal immigration? Sir, are you, my, I mean, are you really don't know that. Cuban immigrant. He came to this country in 1962, uh, right before the Cuban Missile Crisis, and obtained a green card. <laughs> yes, people who immigrated okay, so, to this country so Jim, can eventually. People who so Jim, as a factual question, through, Jim. Not through Jim, as a factual, Jim, as a factual question. Ways, do a, obtain a green card at some point. They do it through a lot of hard work. And yes, they may learn English as a second language later on in life. So, but, but this Jim, whole this whole notion of well, they could learn, you know, they have to learn English before they get to the United States. Are we just going to bring in people from Great Britain and Australia? Jim, actually, I have to honestly say, I am shocked at your statement 
that you think that only people from Great Britain and Australia would know English. It's actually, it reveals your cosmopolitan uh, bias to a shocking degree that in your mind, no, this is an amazing, this is an amazing moment. This is an amazing moment that you think only people from Great Britain or Australia would speak English is so insulting to millions of hard-working immigrants who do speak English from all over the world. Jim, have you honestly, Jim, have you honestly never met a, an immigrant from another country who speaks English outside of Great Britain and Australia? Is that your personal experience? Of course there are people who come But that's not what you said. And it shows, it shows your cosmopolitan bias. And I just want to say... It sounds like you're trying to engineer the I racial just say, and ethnic flow of people into this country. Jim, this that policy. is one of the most outrageous, insulting, ignorant, and foolish things you've ever said. And for you, that's still a really... The, the notion that you think that this is a racist bill is so wrong and so insulting. Jim, the reality is is that the foreign-born population into our country has quadrupled since 1970. That's a fact. It's been mostly driven by green card policy. Now, this bill allows for immediate nuclear family members to come into the country, much as they would today, and then it adds an additional points-based system. The people who've been hurt the most, the people who've been, the people who've been, the people who've been, the people who've been hurt the most by the policy you're advocating, are apparently just unfettered, uncontrolled migration. The people who've been hurt the most by the policy, the people who've been hurt the most by the policy that you're, the people who've been hurt the most by the policy you're advocating are immigrant workers and minority workers and African-American workers and Hispanic workers. Are you targeting African-American no community now? You brought it up again. You said you wanted to have a conversation and not target. Is it going to be a target This is now? what we want to do. Using the African-American community, are you going to target? I'm not trying to be funny. Right, and I know what you're saying, what you're saying is 100% correct. We want to help unemployed African-Americans in this country and unemployed workers of all backgrounds get jobs. And insinuations like Jim made trying to ascribe nefarious motives to a compassion immigration measure designed to help newcomers and current arrivals alike is wrong. And this is a positive, optimistic proposal that says 10 years, 20 years, 30 so years from now, ignorant. Ignorant. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, we want to have an immigration system that takes care of the people who are coming here and the people who are already living here by having standards, by having a real clear requirement that you be able to support yourself financially, by making sure that employers can pay a living wage. That's the right policy for our country. And it's the president's commitment to taking care of American workers. I apologize, Jim, if things got heated, but you did make some pretty rough insinuations. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll hand it over to Sarah. I think that went exactly as planned. I think that was what Sarah was hoping would happen. I think that I think that was exactly what we were hoping to have happen. Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, they let him do a press briefing or whatever the other day, a few weeks ago. And yeah, he, I don't remember what he, he started yelling at somebody in the audience for some reason and stuff. Or, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's all just a blur. It's like there's so much fresh news every day. And, it, you know, this guy is, he's a clown. Uh, he's like 31 years old. He's already bald. <laughs> it's like, come on, what, what, are, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, lots to say about him, but um, and where did he come from? He he, he came from like the alt right, or he's from he's from Breitbart, or what's his what's his situation again? Uh, I don't even know. He's uh, I believe the grandson of 
Holocaust survivors, and he's from like Southern California, he's, he's Jewish, and he ran for class president, and he gave like a vile speech that they uncovered, and um... much about him, but I know that he's pretty right-wing. He expresses his views in an insulting way, and that makes him look like he has no integrity. And that's really unfortunate because he could really be a great politician. Um, I first met Stephen Miller in uh, seventh grade, and when I knew him, he was a, a liberal Democrat. And uh, for the next few months of, of our friendship, he became a conservative Republican. I like to think that I had a big influence over that, although he'll probably tell you otherwise. Santa Monica High School is predominantly liberal, so with him, it kind of adds some flavor. I'm the only candidate up here who really stands out. It adds, like, some, something that we can really argue against. I will say, and I will do things that no one else in their right mind would say or do. Like, I do like that he's really good about voicing his opinions, but I don't like the way he does it. For example, last year at the elections pep rally or something, I wasn't there, but I have I think I have a pretty accurate account of what happened, which was that he got up there, he was running for something, Speaker of the House, something like that, Treasure or something. Am I the only one who is sick and tired of being told to pick up my trash? And we have plenty of janitors who are paid to do it for when I heard what he said, I was outraged because that shows such a shocking lack of respect for the people who clean our floors so that we can learn in a safe, clean environment. And that is absolutely disgusting and intolerable. Personally, I, I would have laughed at that. They're not getting paid to do that. They're getting paid to vacuum rugs, to erase chalkboards, uh -huh. to clean the toilets, to put toilet paper in, stuff like that. Yeah, Our shit yeah. trash that we uh -huh. dropped during lunch because we're too lazy to pick it up is not their concern. They should not have to work overtime to pick it up. I, he's just joking. It's a, it's a joke. Maybe he enjoys the infamy, like some perverted power trip or something, which I think is completely disgusting. He has a lot of power at the school, but he's using it for evil purposes. He has a lot to be proud of. He's accomplished a lot. It's the way he goes about presenting himself. He lacks integrity. He's insulting and he's disrespectful, and that is not okay. That's because most people are so uptight and they don't realize the humor in some of the things he says. I find his actions appalling and infuriating, and it's really hard for me to tolerate him. While all this is true, everything I've said about him, you know, he makes me mad, all this stuff, I do respect him as a person. I have had a few pleasant conversations with him, and I'd really like to actually get to know him better. He wrote all these horrible, oh, yeah. horrible columns for this uh, school newspaper, and later I think he was in one of the Ivy Leagues, I forget which one, Yale or something, dude, dude, yeah, sorry, I think he was a dude. Um, I think he made a name for himself uh, when there was that Duke lacrosse scandal when they, you know, they, they gang rape. That was, turned out to have been trumped up charges or whatever. He wrote that to some fame, I guess. I'll, I'll let it decide if this is wrong. But, um, yeah, was that, that was like back around 2004, 2005 or something, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, right. 
And then uh, he right. was served, he served with Jeff Sessions, uh, and that's how he uh, Billy came into the Trump world orbit is through that. And then Breitbart, huh. I think, also kind of because Sessions and Bannon have been teamed up for a while, so that's the connection there. So. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The um. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I think it's funny because like I. I Trump is firing lots of people, you know, <laughs> left and right. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, the more people he fires, the more leaks he's liable to have. Because, like, there was one or two big leaks that came out, like, a day or two after Ryan's previous got fired or something. And everybody's like, we don't know where this is coming from. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's Ryan's, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was, like, because, I mean, Ryan's and Scaramucci got, got fired, like, a matter of days apart, I feel like, or yes. something. And it was like there were a couple of big leaks right after that. I can't remember exactly which leak this was because, I mean, it, it, it's leaks 24-7. There's always leaks, right? It's mm-hmm. like it's always a leak. And um, I don't know. It, it's just a whole, like, I think, uh, you know, I think uh, Jeb Bush said that Trump was the chaos candidate and he was going to be the chaos president if he won and stuff. And <laughs> so true. So Donald, you know, is great at, at the uh, one-liners, but he's a chaos candidate. And he'd be a chaos president. He would not be the commander-in-chief we need to keep our country safe. Mr. Trump. (laughs) They're they're kicking me off. They're kicking me off. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. There's some talk about, like, certain Republicans are kind of abandoning Trump or trying to start distancing themselves from Trump these days. Um, I know one guy, like, wrote a book or something. I forget the guy's name. I think he's a Republican senator. Uh, Jeff he was on... And, uh, yeah. The, uh, I believe the Mercers, who, I don't know if you know about them, but they bankrolled uh, Milo, Ian Yiannopoulos, and, uh, you know, Steve Bannon and, and Breitbart and all these uh, fringe people. Uh, anyway, they're uh, funding a primary challenge for him now uh, for, for Jeff Blake's <laughs> retaliation for this defection. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of like Aliens versus Predator, right? I mean, whoever wins, <laughs> we lose. <laughs> so, I, think, I think that was like the tagline or yeah. something, but yeah. It's like, I, frankly, I don't care. I mean, I'm glad they're fighting amongst themselves and, you know... If the Republicans can, you know, successfully get away from Trump, I mean, that's a good thing in a way. Um, and if the Republicans can't get away from Trump without getting primaried and it becomes the party of Trump, which many people have already declared it to be, mm-hmm. I think rightly so. I mean, because they, you know, they, they can, you know, we hear all these things about how they're miserable behind the scenes, but it doesn't matter. Like, they're not standing up to him in any meaningful way or slowing down his agenda. I mean, well, they're slowing down his agenda in that. He hasn't done anything except put a, you know, steal a Supreme Court seat and, you know, sign executive orders for the first six months and, you know, run the risk of getting us into nuclear wars and lowering America's standing in the world and, you know, disgracing us on the uh, on the uh, the EPA stuff as far as the, you know, the Paris Accords and so forth. I mean, he, he hasn't he doesn't have his leg- legislation that he wants, you know, and uh, yeah. And now he's gone to war yeah. with Mitch McConnell. He's not, he's not <laughs> taking the blame for not getting repeal and replace. Um, you know, remember that uh, party he had after it passed the House? 
Yeah. I mean, that was just yeah. bizarre. It wasn't was finished a, yet. They were acting like it was like the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's... That's the group. Thank you. Thank you very much. This really is the group. What a great group of people. And they're not even doing it for the party. They're doing it for this country because we suffered with Obamacare. I went through two years of campaigning, and I'm telling you, no matter where I went, people were suffering so badly with the ravages of Ob Obamacare. And I will say this, that uh, as far as I'm concerned, your premiums, they're going to start to come down. We're going to get this passed through the Senate. I feel so confident. Uh, your deductibles, when it comes to deductibles, they were so ridiculous that nobody got to use their current plan, uh, this non-existent plan that I heard so many wonderful things about over the last three or four days after that. I mean, it's uh, — I don't think you're going to hear so much right now. The insurance companies are fleeing. It's been a catastrophe, and this is a great plan. I actually think it will get even better. And this is — make no mistake — this is a repeal and a replace of Obamacare. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake. And I think most importantly, yes, premiums will be coming down. Yes, deductibles will be coming down. But very importantly, it's a great plan. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. We knew that wasn't going to work. I predicted it a long time ago. I said it's failing. And now it's obvious that it's failing. It's dead. It's essentially dead. If we don't pay lots of ransom money over to the insurance companies, it would die immediately. So what we have is something very, very incredibly well-crafted. Tell you what, there is a lot of talent standing behind me. An unbelievable amount of talent. That I can tell you. I mean it. And, you know, coming from a different world and only being a politician for a short period of time, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? I'm president. Hey, I'm president. Can you believe it, right? I don't know. It's, I thought you needed a little bit more, more time, they always told me. More time, but we didn't. But we have an amazing group of people standing behind me. They worked so hard, and they worked so long. And what I said, let's do this. Let's go out, just short little shots for each one of us, and let's say how good this plan is. We don't have to talk about this unbelievable victory. Wasn't it unbelievable? So we don't have to say it again. But it's going to be an unbelievable victory, actually, when we get it through the Senate, and there's so much spirit there. But I said, let's go out. We have a little list of some of the people. And I think after that list goes, if they don't talk too long, our first list, uh, we're going to let some of the other folks just come up and say whatever you want. But we want to brag about the plan, because this plan really — uh-oh. Oh. Well, yeah, we may. But we're just going to talk a little bit about the plan, how good it is, some of the great features. I want to thank uh, Paul Ryan. He has worked so hard. And I was joking. I said, you know, Paul, for the last week I've been hearing Paul Ryan doesn't have it. It's not working with Paul Ryan. He's going to get rid of Paul Ryan. Then today I heard Paul Ryan's a genius. He's come along. <laughs> You know, the groups have all come together. We have the Tuesday group. We have so many groups. We have the Freedom Caucus. We have — and they're all great people. But we have a lot of groups. 
but they all came together. Really, Paul, I'd say in the last three, four days, especially in the last day. I see Mark and I see Kevin. I see so many people, Jim. Uh, we just have developed a bond. This has really brought the Republican Party together. As much as we've come up with a really incredible health care plan, this has brought the Republican Party together. We're going to get this finished, and then we're going, as you know, we put our tax plan in. It's a massive tax cut, the biggest tax cut in the history of our country. I used to say the biggest since Ronald Reagan. Now it's bigger than that. Also, pure tax reform. So we're going to get that done next, and this really helps it. A lot of people said, how come you kept pushing health care, knowing how tough it is? Don't forget, Obamacare took 17 months. Hillary Clinton tried so hard, really valiantly, in all fairness, to get health care through. Didn't happen. We've really been doing this for eight weeks, if you think about it. And this is a real plan. This is a great plan. And we had no support from the other party. So I just want to introduce somebody to say a few words who really has been, I think, treated very unfairly, but it no longer matters because we won and we're going to finish it off, and we're going to go on to a lot of other things, and we are going to have a tremendous four years, and maybe even more importantly, we're going to have a tremendous eight years, but we're going to start off with just a great first year. And Paul Ryan, come up and say a few words. Congratulations on a job well done. He's, uh, he, he doesn't understand anything, and, and frankly, like, I mean, I mean he, he has a point. Frankly, you know, we got to give credit where credit is due. He did say, you know, you guys have been talking about this for seven years. And you don't have anything. You don't have a plan yet. And uh, that's that's true. I mean, you know, Mitch McConnell also has a point that, you know, this stuff doesn't necessarily just get slammed through. And, you know, he's dealing with uh, the Tea Party caucus or whatever, the Trump caucus and, the you know, the traditional conservatives or whatever, mm-hmm. the rhinos or whatever. I mean, like he's, you know, he's trying to he's trying to corral all these cats into a certain place, but you know, I mean, probably if Trump were smart, he'd go give a speech to these people with his, you know, the bully pulpit or whatever and say, look, you know, when Barack Obama wanted to put Obamacare through, you know, a lot of Democrats had to take votes that cost them their jobs. You know, this was understood. And, you know, people were singing songs about how they weren't coming back when they cast their votes and stuff. And, you know, sure enough, that happened. But you know what? They did it because, you know, this was one of Obama's, like, signature pieces of legislation that needed to be got, gotten through relatively early on in his administration. And uh, he did it. Yeah. And well, this, uh, is, this is the result of uh, having a ruling party that doesn't have any ideas or idea how to govern. Uh, really, the only thing they know how to do is to get into office and to completely take over the branches of government and state and local and national level, but once they're there, I mean, what do they do? I mean, there's no, like, you know, they, they just shouted, uh, get rid of Obamacare for seven years, and they only did that because we knew there was never going to be a time in those seven years where that bill or they would repeal on the spot would go through because Obama would veto it every time. And that's the only time they actually went through with it, and now it's like, taken a million years and it's like a hot garbage fire mess and it's like this is stopping up all the other activity that they want to do they want to do like tax reform that's going to make that a nearly impossible 
Um, you, you're pushing this back and pushing this back. Meanwhile, you know, the calendar future and, and you know, the you know, house seats are going to be up next year. And a lot of people start campaigning and they don't want to take risky votes uh, after a certain point. So that's why there's the 100 days thing. It's not just an arbitrary, it is, but that there's a logic to that. I think that, you know, early in administration, fresh off of a victory, you do the thing and you, that's, that you put all your effort behind it. And like you're saying, that Democrats, mm-hmm. for once, uh, you know, banded together to do something that they've been trying to do for decades. Uh, and, you know, it did cost them seats, but yeah, these people don't want to, like, lose a single seat. And that's, the, but I mean, that has propelled them to where they are, but that same thing is not one of the government, I guess. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I think another thing is, like, it, it comes back to something that Scaramucci said, which was, you know, he, he said, you know, as my Italian people, as we say, you know, the fish rots from the head, right? And I'll tell you, two people who aren't rotting is Trump and me. Or something, some bullshit like that. But he was right the first time. <laughs> the fish rots from the head, and Trump is the head. And if you, if you, I think if you're using that that idiom correctly, then you say that all of this is Trump's fault. White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci joins us this morning. Anthony Scaramucci, can you hear us? Yes, Ryan. So there, yeah. So when I was speaking to you last night, Ryan, I said it was unpatriotic that you weren't telling me who the leakers were. Um, I was on a plane landing in New York. I have to go visit my mom, and so. You may have caught it the wrong way. I, I, I was teasing you, and it was sarcastic. It was uh, a one Italian to another. It wasn't me trying to get you to say, if, if you could give me some sense for where they are, because I have a responsibility to the President of the United States. Anthony? When you said you, when you, said you didn't, I totally respect your journalism and your integrity. Anthony, Chris, I don't know. If, I, uh, hold yes, on, sir. Anthony. I just want to make sure. Uh, I don't yes. know if Ryan could hear you. Um, I can uh, okay. But just in case, uh, it, it did go out over the air, so he heard what you meant mm-hmm. when you were talking to him about being unpatriotic. Let's just uh, yeah. reset us at zero here. What's yeah, going I, on I in wanna, your perspective? I want to reset at zero, but I also want you to know that I just spent about 15 minutes on the phone talking with the President of the United States, who has given me his uh, full support and his full blessing. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you something, Chris, and you bear with me. And the President also told me, if you're nice to me in this segment, he'll let me come back on the show. Is that cool? So why don't you let me talk for a little bit, and then you can ask me questions. But this is super, super important to the country. Now, whether you agree with the president or you disagree with the president, you have to love the institution of the presidency. You have to love the office, and you have to love our country. And what is going on right now, I've done a major amount of work over the last five days. I've interviewed most of the assistants to the president. I've interviewed most of the people in the communications team in the White House, and what the president and I would like to tell everybody, we have a very, very good idea of who the leakers are, who the senior leakers are in the White House. We'll get to that in a second. What I also want to say is that we are working together, the president and myself and other members of his team in law enforcement, to undercut undercut and undercover or, or out, if you will, the leakers in the entire country. Uh, as the president would say in his own words, the White House leakers are small potatoes. I'll, I'll talk to you about a few leaks that happened last night that I find reprehensible, but the White House leaks are small potatoes relative to things that are going on with leaking things about Syria or North Korea or leaking things about Iraq. Uh, those are the types of leaks that are so treasonous that 150 years ago people would have actually been hung for those types of leaks. So the president brought me in. He knows I'm his friend first, Chris. 
you're from New York, I'm from New York, the president is from New York. We had dinner last night. I sat next to the first lady. I love the president. I've said that. I know the press wants to ridicule me for saying it six times on the podium. But we started out as friends. I am not a politician. I'm an American businessman, an entrepreneur that have built two businesses, and I try to play it straight with people. The president is trying to play it straight with people, which is why he has 140 or 125 social media followers, because they want to hear it straight from the president. And I said to the president this morning, I can't afford to be a sycophant to you, sir. I have to talk to you straight as a friend so I can help you with this problem. And so what I want to say to you is I understand the law. I know that there was a public disclosure mechanism in my financial forms. What I'm upset about is the process and the junk pool, the dirty pool, Chris, in terms of the way this stuff is being done. And the leaking won't stop. I can't have a couple of friends up from Fox and Friends uh, and Sean Hannity, who's one of my closest friends, to dinner with the president and, and, his, and his first lady without it being leaked in seven minutes. It's absolutely, completely, and totally reprehensible. And the, as you know from the Italian expression, the fish stinks from the head down. But I can tell you two fish that don't stink, okay? And that's me and the president. I don't like the activity that's going on in the White House. I don't like what they're doing to my friend. I don't like what they're doing to the president of the United States or their fellow colleagues in the West Wing. Now, if you want to talk about the chief of staff, we have had odds. We have had differences. When I said we were brothers from the, uh, from the podium, that's because we're rough on each other. Some brothers are like Cain and Abel. Other brothers can fight with each other and, and get along. I don't know if this is repairable or not. That will be up to the president. But he's the chief of staff. He's responsible for understanding and uncovering and helping me do that inside the White House, which is why I put that tweet out last night. When the journalists who actually know who the leakers are, like Ryan Lizard, they know the leakers. Jonathan Swain at Axio, these guys know who the leakers are. I respect them for not telling me because I understand and respect journalistic integrity. However, when I put out a tweet and I put Reince's name in the tweet, they're all making the assumption that it's him because journalists know who the leakers are. So if Reince wants to explain that he's not a leaker, let him do that. But let me tell you something about myself. I am a straight shooter, and I'll go right, I'll go right to the heart of the matter. Okay, so I'm done talking. You can ask me questions, but be nice on this segment, Chris, because this is a very serious matter of interest to all of America. And I think the thing is, like, he does not inspire loyalty, right? I mean, he, he, everybody's scared of him in the White House or whatever, but, and they don't want to get caught by him, but they're all leaking like a sieve because to Donald Trump, like, loyalty is a one-way thing you know everybody everybody knows that he demands unquestioning loyalty to him but he has zero loyalty to people around him mm-hmm. and um you know so when it comes to like like i said giving a speech to the senators the house members or whatever and saying look you guys are going to need to put your jobs on the line to help you know create a united republican front and get something done um but you know that that's the same reason that, that that speech really probably wouldn't work for him is that he does not inspire loyalty in Republicans. Um, you know, uh, a lot of those people they know which side of the bread their their bread is buttered on or whatever. I mean, like they you know they know that to win re-election, being too close to this guy or pushing through these things in their state is not going to be popular. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. It's, I mean, they're just, they're just wrong about everything. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, John McCain had to come back from like, you know, brain surgery basically or whatever, like <laughs> to cast a vote on, you know, taking 20, 30 million people, however many people off of healthcare mm-hmm. and he voted it down and they're like and now some republicans like i think that was his brain cancer talking not him (laughs) or whatever and then you know i'm not going to speak for john mccain um you know he has he has a brain tumor right now that vote occurred at 1 30 in the morning some of that might have factored in really i mean he did you know get out he just had recovered from getting the brain tumor removed and then flew all the way to washington dc but you really think that that played a factor in his judgment call Again, I, I don't know exactly what we really thought. That and again, I don't want to speak for any senator. I, I really thought John was going to vote yes to send that conference uh, at ten thirty uh, at night by about one one thirty. Uh, he voted no. Yeah. Then, like a you know, three or four, you know, however many. I, for, I I can't even remember. You know, we don't see any updates or news on this. But the uh, the you know the senatorial baseball game shooting or whatever that happened a few months ago. You know, I mean, this guy's got a, he's got a long gun. And he's, you know, he's shooting Republicans with the gun that they probably made legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know there was some confusion here and there about like what type of gun it was exactly or whatever, but like <laughs> it was, you know, this was not a, this was not a hunting rifle or a pistol. I don't, I, although I think he had a pistol too, maybe on him, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether or not you believe that stuff should be legal. I mean, these are Republicans who've probably voted to make it legal. And, uh, and you know, it's just like, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff that they do, like, it just, you know, it's, I don't know what the point I'm trying to make is. I'm <laughs> just kind of exhausted and everything, but, but it's like, you know, uh, they, they, you know, they want to take away health care and then boom, one of their guys needs health care and, oh, they want to give everybody guns and then, oh, Several other guys get shot with the gun. It's like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just like, what are you people doing? Uh, so, um, but I think like, uh, I don't know. I, I I worry about the Democrats too. I mean, like we said, this, they're trying to push these, you know, new candidates, basically. Like, Kamala Harris, like, I don't know much about her. I, I know, she, was she the one, she was kind of grilling people in the Congressional, or the Senate, uh, the open session or whatever, where they were talking to, uh, what's his name, Jeff Sessions, and uh, she, I think she really went hard on Jeff Sessions for a few minutes there. Yeah, she and, uh, yeah. uh, so, that, I mean, that and that that's nice. That's good, and I like that, but that does that mean you are next in line to be the Democratic nominee for president? I don't think so. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, the bench isn't super deep. Attorney General Sessions, you have um, several times this afternoon uh, prefaced your responses by saying, um, to the best of your recollection, uh, just on the first page of your three pages of written testimony, you wrote, nor do I recall, do not have recollection, do not remember it. So my question is, for any of your testimony today, did you refresh your memory with any written documents, be they your calendar, written correspondence, emails, notes of any sort? I, I attempted to refresh my recollection, but so much of this is um, in, a, in a wholesale 
campaign of extraordinary nature uh, uh, that you're moving so fast that you don't keep notes. You meet people. I didn't keep notes of uh, my conversation with the Russian ambassador at the Sir, Republican I'd like convention. I'd just talk well, about you, what you did. You know, I'm just saying I didn't keep notes on most of these things, and there's Will nothing for me. Will you provide this committee with the notes that you did maintain? As appropriate, I will supply the committee with documents. Can you please tell me what you mean when you say appropriate? I would have to consult with uh, um, lawyers in the department who um, know the proper procedure uh, to before disclosing documents that are held within the Department of Justice. Attorney General I'm not Sessions. able to make that opinion today. Sir, I'm sure you prepared for this hearing today, and most of the questions that have been presented to you were uh, predictable. So my question to you is, did you then review with the lawyers of your department, if you as the top lawyer are unaware, what the law is regarding what you can share with us and what you cannot share with us, what is privileged and what is not privileged? We discussed the uh, basic uh, parameters of testimony. I frankly have not discussed documentary uh, disclosure rules. Will you make a commitment to this committee that you will share any written correspondence, be they your calendars, records, notes, emails, or anything that has been reduced at any point in time in writing I will, uh, to this committee where legally um, you actually have an obligation to do so. I'll commit to reviewing the uh, rules of the department and as uh, and when uh, that issue is raised to respond appropriately. Did you have any communications with Russian officials uh, for any reason during the campaign that have not been disclosed uh, in public or to this committee? Uh, I don't recall it, uh, but I have to tell you, uh, I cannot testify to what was uh, said as we were standing at the Republican convention before the podium where I spoke. My, my just, question is uh, only as it relates to your knowledge. I don't have a detailed memory of that. Okay, as it I'm relates to your knowledge. Did you have any communication with any Russian businessmen or any Russian nationals? I don't believe I had any conversation with Russian businessmen or Russian nationals. Are you aware of Although any communication? A lot of people were at the convention. It's conceivable that somebody sir, came sir, up to me. Sir, I have just a few. Well, you minutes. let me qualify it. I, if, you, okay. if I don't qualify it, you'll accuse me of lying. So I need to be correct as best I can. I do want you to be honest. And I'm not able to uh, be rushed this fast. It makes me nervous. Are you aware of any communications with other Trump campaign officials and associates uh, that they had with Russian officials or any uh, Russian nationals? I don't recall that. And uh, are you aware of At any, this moment. Are you aware of any communications uh, with any Trump officials or did you have any communications with any officials about uh, Russia or Russian interests in the United States before January 20th? No, I may have had some conversations, uh, and I think I did, uh, with the general strategic concept of the possibility of whether or not Russia and the United States could get on a more harmonious relationship and move off the hostility. Uh, the Soviet Union did, in fact, collapse. Uh, it's really a, a tragic you, strategic Thank event you. that we're not able to get along before, better than Before we are being today. sworn in as Attorney General, how did you typically communicate with then-candidate or President-elect Trump? Would you repeat that? Before you were sworn in as Attorney General, how did you typically communicate with then-candidate or President-elect Trump? Um, 
I did not submit memoranda. Uh, I did not uh, make formal presentations. Did you ever communicate with him in writing? I don't believe so. And um, you referred to a longstanding DOJ policy. Um, can you tell us what policy it is you're talking about? Well, I think most cabinet people, as the witnesses uh, you had before you earlier, those individuals uh, declined to comment because we're all about conversations with the president. Sir, I'm just because asking that's you about the DOJ policy you referred to. A policy to. that goes beyond just the attorney general. Is that policy in writing somewhere? Uh, I, I think so. So did you not consult it before you came before this committee, knowing we would ask you questions about it? Well, we, we talked about it. The, the policy is did based... Did you ask that it would be shown to you? The policy is based on the principle that the president... Sir, uh, I'm not asking about the principle. I'm asking when well, you, you would be asked the these question. questions and you would rely on that policy, Chairman, did you not ask your staff to show you the policy that would be the basis for you refusing to answer the Chairman, majority of questions that have been be asked of you? should be allowed to answer the question... Senators will allow the chair <laughs> to control the hearing. Senator Harris, let him answer. Please do. Uh, Thank you. We talked about it, uh, and we talked about the real principle that's at stake. It's one that I have some appreciation for as having spent 15 years in the Department of Justice, 12 as United States <laughs> Attorney, and that principle is that the Constitution provides the head of the executive branch certain privileges and that uh, members, one of them is confidentiality of communications. And it is improper for agents of any department of, of uh, any departments in the executive branch to waive that privilege without a clear approval Chairman, of the president. I have asked and that's the uh, situation we're in. For a yes or no, did you ask so your the answer is yes, I consulted. Senator, did you ask your uh, staff Senator to see Stein's the policy? Expired. <laughs> Apparently Senator not. Corning. You can say what you want about the Republicans. There's always fresh faces chomping for power in that uh, rattlesnake nest. <laughs> they, uh, yeah. You know, there's always a, a meaner viper ready to go. But um, as far as like the Democrats, I don't know who we got. I mean, Kamala Harris is talking about, but who's they? Like you said, just like people that are writing these. Think pieces. Cory Booker, I guess, but I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I'm going to say one name, and that's all that really needs to be said. Bernie Sanders. I mean, he's he's you know he doesn't want to talk about running this early and stuff. He thinks it's premature and stuff. But I mean, he's the he's the highest polling, most popular politician in America, mm -hmm. <laughs> and Democrats are trying to step over him and like, no, no, no. Who else do we got? Do we have anybody? You know, it's kind of like. Like, like, kind of like Lisa Simpson or something, raising her hand in class, and the teacher's like looking around, like anybody, can anybody answer this question? Anybody at all? And he's like, me, 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 me. It's kind of like, it's like, that's the obvious answer. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Just say, okay, this is the guy. He's gonna win. You know, <laughs> he's gonna beat the pants off Trump in 2020. I mean, who knows? You know, Trump might not even be. Chances are, I think, pretty good that Trump may not be around in 2020. We'll see. I mean, a lot of things would have to go a certain way, but you know, the first seven months have been full of surprises, and uh, you know, it's it's pretty obvious to everybody. This guy's corrupt as hell. He's a criminal as hell. He lies like he breathes. I mean, like, I mean, this guy is not the type of person who should be president, and that's going to become more and more obvious to everybody. I mean, his poll numbers with Republicans and everybody's going down still. He's 
I, I thought he saw he's in, he's in the low 30s or the high 20s or something at this point. But basically, is I don't remember exactly the figure for that, but yeah, I mean his numbers are going down. Um, I mean, if the Democrats win a majority in the House or Senate or whatever in 2018, I mean he should be impeached immediately for any number of things. I mean, for any number of things, <laughs> uh, just you know, throw the book at because. <laughs> Most of them will stick. Yeah, for sure. So with uh, Bernie, what do you think about this thing with uh, James Sanders and the uh, university? Uh, I think it's you know it's a nothing burger. I think there's no there there. I you know I I heard about it for like about three five days one week or something, and then I never heard about it again. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, I you know I don't even know what happened. Like she was trying to run a university and the university wasn't working out and she somehow she got a loan from somebody or something. I mean, this sounds like a, like a whitewater, nothing burger, or, you know, it sounds like a Trump university without all the scamming of poor people. I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I don't see what the in is, right. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it seems, I mean, compared to like uh, you said about Trump and his various uh, crimes and misdemeanors, uh, it's uh, pretty small potatoes if, if, it's, if it's anything. So, um, but you know how they do. I mean, that was always the thing about Bernie, though. Everyone's like, "Oh, Bernie would have won," but you know, at the same time, he wasn't tested on that you know one-on-one stage uh, as much as you know the Clinton campaign. You know, did do what they did, but you know, we didn't see a full-on Trump uh, onslaught just real with Bernie. I mean, in fact, I think Trump has been surprisingly uh, you know, forgiving about Bernie, if, if only to go down Hillary and the Democrats. Um, but, you know, I feel like it's his line with Bernie has been mostly like, oh, look how bad they're treating him. Um, yeah, but, I mean, I th- that doesn't mean anything, I don't think. I mean, that's only to split the Democratic well, base. Yeah. That's, that's the only purpose of that. He doesn't give a shit about Bernie. <laughs> if Bernie had won, he would have, you know, come just as hard at him, probably, well, Probably almost as hard, <clears throat> you know. Like I mean, like, uh, Clinton supporters like to say that the Bernie Bros are sexist and stuff against Hillary Clinton because she's a woman. I, you know, I don't think so. I think I mean there may be some people on the internet. You could you could find you know you could find a lot of scumbags on the internet who will say all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Half of them may or may not be Russian bots, but um, but the uh, but the thing is, like I mean, for Trump, I think the thing with Hillary was definitely part of it was the the fact that she was a woman. So. You know, that was definitely something that animated his uh, rage against her. I would say. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, like he's he's having a debate with Hillary, and he's like he's stomping around and huffing and puffing on stage and stuff, and like all this stuff. And then you know he's talked a lot of shit about Barack Obama, but when you know when it was his job to sit with Barack Obama at the transition, you know he's leaning forward, uncomfortable, not happy to be there, you know looks like somebody who just got hired for a job that he knows he's not qualified for. And he's sitting next to the guy he's replacing and he's just like, Oh shit. <laughs> but you know, you, you, you can see it in the, in the, in the, the physicality of their, you know, their body language and stuff. And that. So, I, but I, I think like, I mean, I do think that, you know, I mean, Donald Trump, it's, I, I don't think, I mean, everybody knows Donald Trump's is a misogynist and stuff. And, you know, I, I don't think that he would have been as aggressive and animated towards a male opponent as he was against a Clinton, you know, or any other woman or a, you 
know, a, a Rosie or anybody who was not unquestionably non-threatening and non-challenging to him. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the, uh, you know, the whole reason that Steve Bannon was brought in uh, kind of had to do with the fact that it was Clinton that he was going up against because, you know, they uh, funded the Clinton cash book and they've got, like, this, like, deep file of Clinton material. I mean, that's when we saw the, um, you know, the, the women that had been allegedly uh, assaulted by Bill Clinton showing up before one of the debates. Um, you know, that was, that was straight from Steve Bannon's playbook. Um, so, I mean, that it, were it not for that easy target of the Clintons, which the Republicans have been just hating for, you know, 25 years now, um, it's just, you know, it, it might not have been so easy uh, to tear uh, someone like Bernie down as it was the Clintons because the, you know, the Republicans are pre-programmed to hate the Clintons. They've been fed Rush Limbaugh and Fox News for how long now? So. Yeah, yeah, she was, I mean, going in, everybody should have known that she had a, a baseline hate in the and these were people who were never going to be brought over. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, you could say, yeah, she won the popular vote, but I mean, uh, she, you know, she didn't do the things she could have done. I think like, you know, a lot of people want to blame the Bernie bros or something and stuff, but she never really came to the Bernie bros to, you know, she said, I won deal with it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, we're not going to vote for you then bitch. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, and you know, I'm a, Bernie bro who did vote for, you know, at the end of the day. So (laughs) I kind of dodged that, you know, they can complain and complain and complain as much as they want about people voting Jill Stein. I saw something the other day about how uh, Jill Stein voters are the ones who are to blame for this. And it's like, no, no, they're not. I mean, like the Green Party is a perennial feature of the American presidential campaign. (laughs) It's like that's there. I mean, it's been there throughout our lives, Mm -hmm. Uh, just like the Libertarian Party's always been there on the right. And the Libertarians t- took more votes from Trump than the Green Party did from Clinton. So shut up about it. <laughs> it's bullshit. It's like, uh, that's not it. I mean, and there, you know, yes, in a world where there was no Green Party, that was not even an option. Then, yeah, theoretically, some portion of the people who voted for the Green Party probably would have voted for the Democratic Party. But we're talking about like a, a fictional world that doesn't exist at this point. There is no world where the green party doesn't exist. <laughs> it's, you know, well, I didn't think about why they, some, something like the green party has a space to stand in it because the democratic party has abandoned the part of the field that now belongs to them. Um, and they could very easily screw the back up if they had any intention of moving that way. But, um, you know, I, I feel like the only lesson the Democrats seem to learn is that they need to be more like Republicans or something. And I don't think Republicans ever take that lesson. You know, maybe even to a fault, they don't take that lesson. But um, they just, I feel like they just steer harder into their base and they seem to come up on top more times than they don't. So, I don't know why the Democrats yeah. don't just be the same. They're not playing the same game. They're not winning this for sure. Not sad. Yeah. We're not winning anymore. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think like, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's tricky because there are districts where, you know, it does sometimes take to some degree a, you know, a more middle of the road or even right wing Democrat to win. 
And so you, you can't run a Bernie Sanders kind of like, you know, candidate in every, in every region and win for, you know, the house or the Senate. But, but I do think the, yeah, the Democrats have got to stop apologizing for what they believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have issues like universal health care, uh, you know, and I've heard some people say, stop calling it single payer because I think I heard Dan Savage on the Savage Lovecast or something mm-hmm. say like, stop calling it single payer because then the Republicans are just going to say, yeah, it's a single payer. And that payer is you, you got to pay for everything, but everybody benefits. So it's like, you know, eh, Medicare for all, I think would pull, pull better or something like it, some of it's just a, a phrasing thing. When they want to get on a page, they, they are do- that's what the Democrats don't do. They meet in their underground lair. They do. They're volcano. <laughs> that's all about. And they say, okay, tomorrow we are all going to say that the left is unhinged and violent, even though it's crazy. And somebody of us goes, wait, the left is not violent. Yeah, but we're going to say that. We're all going to say that. And then it's going to come true to at least half the country. Democrats need to do that, don't you think? Absolutely. They need to have an underground lair <laughs> where they come up with it and, and they all say it. They never do that. They don't all say the same or just thing. just one I- big gay bar where we all meet once a year to make these plans. <laughs> Because I want, because I want to feel comfortable there. No, no, no. Like Democrats are terrible at messaging. The example I always think of is uh, a couple of years ago, a Republican strategist said, "Stop calling them entitlements. Entitlements right. are bad. People are entitled. Call them earned benefits. You paid into Social Security. You paid into Medicare. You earned it." And Democrats couldn't make that switch. And that global warming. Global warming sounds kind of nice. Instead I used to of, say, "Call it climatia." <laughs> You know, the Democrats actually, you know, the gay bar thing, they should look to what the gays did. We talked about gay marriage, and people were like, ooh, yuck, because gay says sex. Gay says sex. So we all switched, and we started saying marriage equality. Right. And even people who are uncomfortable with the gays doing the gay butt thing could get behind, <laughs> could get behind equality, and it really helped us achieve marriage equality. And Democrats should look to the success of one of the biggest social movements in this country in the last 30 years and what we achieved in part by effective messaging with everybody on the same page. For fuck's sake, stop calling them entitlements. Make that switch, if nothing else. Republicans, you know, death panels, death taxes, they always, uh, partial birth abortion, they repeat this stuff until we on the left can't even think of these issues without going to their rhetoric. Democrats have the power to do the same thing if they will all unite and have one message, like you said. I mean, like, uh, marijuana legalization across the state, across the, you know, 50 states, I think that's something that, you know, probably a lot of people get behind, especially, I mean, even like libertarians. I mean, that's a very animating issue for a lot of libertarians and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't make sense. You know, you can do something in one state that gets you a, you know, gets you a felony charge in another state. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, and, and, you know, I think and another thing is they've got to take like a holistic view or whatever, or a gestalt or whatever, you know, the whole view. I mean, in the states that have legalized marijuana, um, the opioid crisis has gone down. Violent crime has gone down. Drunk driving has gone down. Um, you know, the uh, you know Donald Trump has tasked like Jared Kushner to go and figure out the opioid crisis as well as you know <laughs> the Israel Palestine peace yeah, thing I was and say, I he was every other damn East, thing he's. Yeah, and I thought I saw something like they did an email or something where Jared Kushner says we we aren't really bringing anything new to Israel Palestine. <laughs> We're bringing anything new to it or something. It's like, 
you know, you want you might have to try the one thing that's never been tried, which is, you know, <laughs> put put you know, uh, you know, try try not giving Israel every single thing that the Likud party wants, and instead try you know, giving the Palestinians a fraction of what they want, and then see where the peace negotiation goes. But, uh, yeah, but it's like I mean, like it's like you know, with one issue with marijuana legalization nationwide, they could actually be killing several, several birds with one stone. You also, you reduce the prison population, which of course, you know, corporate Democrats who've got money in the private prison industry, they don't, that's not what they want to do. Of course, because you know, they've got their hands in the, in the money jar there and stuff. And, you know, that was a whole nother big thing. The big problem with the Clinton campaign, I think, is they like to pretend that, yeah, we take corporate money. We take a lot of corporate money, but that doesn't influence us. That doesn't influence policy. And people didn't buy it. People didn't believe it, rightly so. Mm-hmm. So they're, not, they're making an investment. They're not doing it out of the kindness of their heart. So. Yeah. I think like the private prisons stuff is, you know, <clears throat> I think I news the other day where some private prisons they needed to fill 60 more beds in the next month or something, or they were going to leave the state or something like that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so they're, they're saying, Hey, you know, you need to generate some more criminals. Uh, we're going to pull this out of the state and, you know, jobs are going to go down and funding's going to go down or, you know, whatever the consequences of that would be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think these private prisons, I mean, you know, with care, stuff like this, uh, another thing that's so frustrating is that a lot of, um, so much, so much of our policy and so much of the confines of the debate is predicated on private companies benefiting. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, you know, the stuff about like drug costs and stuff and like it's so much cheaper in Canada and we sell it cheaper around the world. But in America, we need that we need to keep the drug prices high so that, you know, so that pharmaceutical companies continue to make profits. It's like, okay, well, you know, maybe the purpose of pharmaceuticals is not to not to generate profits. I mean, sure, I mean, the, the point of any business is to generate profits, but I mean, you know, the, the, it, like, I mean, you've, you've, interv- you've interviewed the pharma bro, right? And that was, his, that was a big part of his argument was, well, yeah, I needed to raise the price of the AIDS drugs like 800% because uh, I need to reinvest back into research and research and development for new drugs. It's like, how about this? How about you, you make a company that's focused on AIDS drugs and then, you know, somebody else will make a company that focuses on the other drugs, but just, you know, solve the problem, you know, don't make it so that some people can afford it and some people can't, and a lot of people can't afford it. And, and then yeah, we've but, got healthcare. But that guy wouldn't be in the business if it didn't, if he wasn't able to raise it 5,000%, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, if it was an altruistic thing, you'd think he'd be within 10 miles of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, did he invent it or did he buy it after the drug had already been invented? He didn't invent anything. It's been around since the 50s. All he did uh, was purchase the company that made the only, uh, they were the only one that were making it. And so it was a natural monopoly in which it was a rare enough, uh, you know, affliction that it was, you know, only a few thousand people were taking it. So there wasn't a lot of competition in the market. So all he did is he bought the one company that was making it. Uh, and he jacked that price up, and simply because no one else had stepped into the market at that point, uh, because it wasn't profitable enough, because, you know what I mean, because they weren't charging as much as they were, they were just charging a reasonable thing, so it was just kind of a smaller drug, 
Um, but then he just jacked it up because it's like, where else are you going to go? Um, nowhere else. No one else is yeah. making this. So, you know, pay up or, you know, or else. Well, that's, well, that's, I mean, that, that really is my point then that, you know, these kinds of people don't need to be in the healthcare, mm-hmm. um, you know, the pharmaceutical drug industry then, because they're not, you know, they're not, they're not the pioneers who are generating value and creating these drugs. They're just, you know, uh, you know, corporate vultures who want to swoop in and make a profit. And in the meantime, it's the drugs are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is to help Americans and people all over the world for a reasonable price. Mm-hmm. You know, um, not to die. <laughs> and so and then you've got the other side of that is the the healthcare. you know, the uh, health insurance companies. Um, you know, the whole debate is predicated on the idea that these health insurance companies need to make, you know, record profits, too. Maybe they don't, you know, <laughs> maybe like, you know, maybe their only purpose should be uh, providing health care for all Americans, um, you know. Go to a different industry if you want to make a huge, you know, you go to the stock market if you want to make a profit. Uh, this is a, this is a, you know, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness type of thing. You know, first you need your life. Uh, so you need your liberty of not being, a, you know, enslaved by medical bills, you know. So, um, so again, I think like, I mean, I, I think that even, even a lot of Democrats, even a lot of, you know, corporate Democrats, they still approach these arguments on the idea that, well, my donors who are in the pharmaceutical industry or the private prison industry or the, you know, the uh, prescription drug industry um, or the health insurance industry, these guys have still got to be taken care of. No matter what we do, no matter what the, you know, final bill is or what the final solution for the uh, health care you know, final solution don't I don't know if that's the yeah I know I know <laughs> yeah I, I have a, a feeling of... white power rally on the University of Virginia campus tonight so let's not even let's not even go there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah well but you know whatever whatever <laughs> they, they, they for these kinds of Democrats I guess my point is that like I mean um you know, whatever solution they're willing to even countenance, it still has to be including, you know, major profits for these organizations that put profits over people. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's and that's I mean, that's a flaw in the design, I think. And that's yeah. a flaw in the party. And again, it's just and it's not well, I don't here, know. Yeah. Here's another reason I, I want the Democrats to seize upon these issues only because if Trump ever figures out that if he just does something popular, people will like him. Um, then I think he would be a very dangerous politician that would be hard to get rid of. Um, because, you know, he, he has half the equation. He has the people that feel like they're forgotten, the forgotten man, whatever, the American carnage, uh, that he's supposed to represent. He hasn't done anything concrete for them. And they've stuck with him so far. And, and they're kind of like still in this wait and see mode with him, apparently. I don't know. I don't know what else you need to do with this guy. Honestly, just, just tell me what what it is, and I'll stop wondering. But um, you know, mm-hmm. if he actually did something like say universal health care, or uh, you know something big like a big infrastructure thing, uh, that wasn't just a big handout to the you know, corporations. That was actually the government investing like they did in like the 1950s and the post, immediate post war period. Um, you know, if you did something like that, like a new WPA, like in the Roosevelt administration during the Depression, if you did something like that, um, you know, I'm just I'm just spitballing here, but something that would like have a concrete, positive effect in people's lives, 
I think if you just figured that out and actually did something concrete for the people you claim to represent, uh, he would be, I mean, I think he would just be dictated for life at that point. The problem is that for him is that, and, and good for us, but the problem for him is that he doesn't seem to have figured that out yet. Um, yeah. I don't want to give him any ideas almost by saying that out loud. <laughs> well, I, I don't think he's going to, I don't think, I think the calculation is still not that beneficial for him because if he actually does something that's good for the people, the Republicans, the Republican Party, the GOP is going to cut him off at the knees, you know. And, you know, they and they can convince the people, probably the Republican voters, that he's betrayed them and stuff and he's not doing what he promised for them and stuff. And even if it does benefit them, they'll be convinced that it was, you know, against them somehow. And, you know, it, it's like it's not like I mean, I don't think public opinion sw- switches fast enough. Like even if Donald Trump did everything right and he became objectively a good president, I still would like to think I'd like to hope that the Democrats are still ready, willing and able and, you know, just chaining at the bit, chomping at the bit or whatever to impeach this guy the second they get a chance, you know. So I I think like he knows that the Democrats are going to impeach him the second they get a chance, no matter what he does. And the Republican Party will cut him loose and throw in Pence the second he goes against the Republican orthodoxy, basically. I, I think he's I think he's much more hemmed in. I mean, I don't think it's a matter of okay, marijuana is legal and healthcare is free. I, I don't think he can. I think he's way too boxed. I don't think he could do that, even if he thought it was something that would be popular with you know with the people necessarily. I don't know. You know, maybe you know. I mean, with his with his direct line to the people on Twitter, who knows? Maybe he could pull it off. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's in his character. And also, I, I think like he's he's so committed to probably being a bad president. He's like, I'm going to succeed as a bad president. I, I don't think he's interested in becoming a good president and seeing if he could see, <laughs> succeed that way. I think he's like, he's like, I don't think he wants to make anybody happy at this point. I think he wants to piss them off more by like continuing to be exactly the way he is and continuing not to be fired for it. <laughs> so, oh, I don't know. Are, are you scared of the nuclear war? Are you triggered, Liv? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a snowflake. <laughs> Yeah, I saw something the other day. It was pretty funny. I thought that <laughs> a little offensive. So, you know, trigger warning, I guess. Um, uh, let's see. What did they say? It was it was a, some meme. It had like the Velociraptor, the, the Philosoraptor, <laughs> philosopher, right? Philosoraptor. Yeah, and, he, and he said, he said, uh, if liberals are libtards, then that does that mean Republicans are retards? <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. Shouldn't laugh. <laughs> but it was it was clever. Of course, the one part I have to cut out of the whole podcast seems pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we enjoyed it for a second there, oh, yeah. I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Anyways. But yeah, so I I I don't have any worry that Donald Trump is going to suddenly you know turn things around and become a decent president and do the right thing on any particular issue, but. Hmm. But I, I wish the Republican, I mean, the Democratic Party would, um, you know, start to figure out that, hey, you know, these uh, safe corporate Democrats are, are, it's a dying breed. It's not a winner. You know, to be fair, if, if Democrats do anything except win in 2018 or 2020, I mean, I know the deck stacked against them a little bit in 2018, but, well, you know. Well, on the Senate side, really, I think they have a very good shot of of reclaiming the house if they play the cards right. So I don't yeah. have any hopes for the Senate. All I can do is stop it from being bad. So. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah it's it's upsetting, but um, well, it's, yeah. it's an unfortunate timing situation for the Democrats in the Senate because um, a lot of the ones that are up this time, since they are on a six-year schedule and not a two-year schedule, and it's a different you know each state and whatever different schedules. Um, you know, they've, they've got a different uh, map uh, than they do. Because, of course, all the House seats come up for uh, election every two years. So, um, you know, it could all flip one way or another. But Senate is like, a lot of those seats won't come up for several more years. Um, just a handful. And the handful that are coming up are mostly Democrats trying to defend their seats. And some, like in Indiana, frankly, uh, where there's a, probably a pretty good chance that there might be a flip. So, um, hmm. like Joe Donnelly is, is a fairly uh, shaky, uh, I'd say one of the shakier seats for Democrats in, in, in 2018, I would say. Um, hmm. You've got uh, several people fighting out uh, for the Republican, and they're kind of sniping at each other right now, accusing uh, each other of being too establishment. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, but they're not coming for him. But once they do, it'll be, it'll be not, it'll be, won't be pretty. So um, we'll see. Maybe, maybe you pull it out. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. Yeah, yeah. It's well. It's. I mean, they they got to take it back. Got to take everything back and uh, get this guy out of there. Uh, you know, that's that's another thing. Until this week, I mean, there hasn't been really an international crisis. Most of the blustering and you know, clownery and just goofy stuff, nothing getting done and stuff has been domestic. Yeah. I mean, aside from, you know, the Paris climate accords and, you know, when he, whenever he travels abroad and embarrasses us in whichever country he does it. Um, but I mean like this North Korea thing is the first real chance of, you know, uh, you know, being tested on the international stage and being found wanting, you know, I mean, he seems to think, I mean, like, he thinks he's going to be compared to, like, he said, like, uh, I'm the most presidential president ever with the possible exception of the great late Abraham Lincoln or whatever. It's like, sometimes they say he doesn't act presidential. <laughs> and I say, hey, look, great schools, smart guy. It's so easy to act presidential, but that's not going to get it done. In fact, I said, it's much easier, by the way, to act presidential than what we're doing here tonight, believe me. And I said, with the exception of the late, great Abraham Lincoln, I can be more presidential than any president that's ever held this office. That I can tell you. You know, he keeps trying to compare himself to, like, Abraham Lincoln and stuff. It's like, he's got to know that the only president he's ever going to be compared to is, or Andrew Jackson. At one point, he wanted to be compared to Andrew Jackson, too, I think. I mean, had Andrew Jackson been a little bit later, he wouldn't have had the Civil War. He was, he was a very tough person, but he had a big heart, and he was, he was really angry that he saw what was happening with regard to the Civil War. He said, there's no reason for this. People don't realize, you know, the Civil War, um, Yeah. you think about it, why? People don't ask that question. 
But why was there the Civil War? Why could why could that one not have been worked out? Uh, Andrew Jackson was a <laughs> uh, genocidal maniac, uh, perpetrator of the Trail of Tears. Um, and, uh, yeah, it uh, belongs near the bottom of presidents in, in my estimation. But uh, people like, uh, you know, Bannon probably just told him that time story one day about uh, how he's like Andrew Jackson, and then he just decided that Andrew Jackson was just the best. Well... Well, I think the the only the only president he's going to get any comparisons to is Richard Nixon. You know, I mean, like for all the corruption, for the the attempting to re resurrect the madman theory of international relations, for uh, directly negotiating with a foreign power before he was elected to help get himself elected. Yeah. I mean, for all of these reasons and more, um, <laughs> that's the only that's the only like presidential comparison that's ever going to be made. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know. And that's if we stay within the realm of American presidents and, you know, don't go directly to, like, Stalin or Hitler. <laughs> so, yeah, anyways, yeah, I, I hope the, the Democrats, I mean, the Democrats need to just, like, you know, coalesce around Bernie Sanders, I think, and just, you know, bring the thing home in 2020. Uh, I, I mean, like, they tried to do that thing where they did the unity tour or whatever with Bernie Sanders and was it Tom Price or who was the guy who's now the head of the DNC? Yeah, Tom uh, Perez. Yeah, Perez. Yeah, like and like I saw them on like the on on an interview together or something several months ago, and they were both being interviewed, and it was like you know the whoever was interviewing them was like, well, what about this thing? And Bernie Sanders says something, the other guy says, well, yeah, we're we're still looking at that, or you know, I don't remember the whole. I, I can't really characterize the conversation, but it was very clear that they were not on the same page exactly. Even and, and you know it's like and you know you know this is like I mean it's not a matter you know it's not it's like I mean it's not a matter of uh, sorry I'm, I'm not I'm not real good with my words I need to just use my words here okay <laughs> well I have to know for a fact that a lot of Democrats like like a long time Democrats are. Uh, carry uh, sort of a grudge with Bernie Sanders because they they wanted just to join the party. Um, so he pockets with them and, and has so much to say about what what they're doing. Um, you know, that I think that there is a kind of a long shimmering for the kind of like you know, well, we committed to this and we we agree on more than we disagree. So why don't we just you know join the team and, and stop being on the outside like this? Uh, yeah, I think there is a frustration there. I'm not saying it's like legitimate or if it's not legitimate. I'm just saying that like if you're if you committed to a group and you see somebody kind of like dabbling on the outside of your group, um, that I'm sure is, is uh, presents its own bit of friction. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think they need to like let go of the name, the Democratic Party. I mean, I think the Democratic. The, especially the DNC, right? The Democratic National Committee probably has a very negative name recognition right now. <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, mainstream Democrats, corporate Democrats. I mean, these the, these these kind of titles are getting logged around. If you've got somebody outside of the Democratic Party, I mean, you, you can you can stay married to the Democratic identity and keep losing, <laughs> or you can bring in the most popular American politician of the of the time right now of this of this era. And say, hey, this guy wants to be with us. We'll take him. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, it's not. It's not a matter. Of, it's a matter of ideas. It's not a matter of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't be. And 
the Democrats lost with some losing ideas and they lost with some, you know, they lost with a lot of things that they thought they were going to win with. And they need to, they had better damn well learn some lessons very quickly because 2018 is, that's four months from now, right? Uh, you know, the, the elections come later, but still. <laughs> well, I mean, the campaign is being Yeah. Oh, by the way, Chaz got a, got to re-register to vote or whatever i think like um oh, my mom got something in the mail that yeah i think i got purge oh, got some mom got something in the mail and she's like sending it to me in korea or something because it was about how like uh we noticed that you voted in monroe county but your permanent address is actually in lawrence county so we need to check and see if you should be on the rolls where and you should re-register or something like what the hell you know i mean yeah i guess maybe my permanent you know thing is in lawrence county but i mean like <laughs> In the past decade, like literally in the past decade, I've been back in America twice. I spent three months – well, I spent basically three months in Lauren, in uh, you know, staying in Monroe County the first time. And then I spent you know, half a month in North Carolina and half a month in Indiana the second time. And I, yeah, I guess I was in Lawrence County for a large part of that. But it's like – I mean to me is my – I mean I don't know. You know. I haven't lived in Lawrence County since, uh, since 2001. Right. So it's like, yeah, if you want me to say that's my permanent, you know, residence so you can dilute one more Democratic voter out of uh, out of Monroe County down to Lawrence County, where it gets swallowed up by all the uh, knuckle draggers in our hometown who are, you know, you know, going to Trump, going to Trump that bitch or whatever, then uh, then we could do that. But, um, yeah, I don't appreciate being thrown off the voter rolls or whatever. Or whatever, whatever the hell happened. I need to look at the papers whenever they get here. So, well, they're doing that all over. Um, yeah, they're. Uh, uh, Indy started a big report about how they uh, expanded uh, early voting in Republican strongholds in the state, and they intentionally didn't do it in places like uh, you know Indianapolis, um, where there was, I believe, only one. And I remember this from the last election. I remember people complaining about this, but. There's only one like early voting thing in the whole like county, and there's like lines all the way around the block, and you know, in places where the Republicans have you know power on the outside of the, you know, the centralized cities, that early voting options are are great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is another this is another thing where I mean the Republicans don't believe in democracy. I mean it's been true for a very long time. I mean I mean. Uh, frankly, there should be one set of rules. This is a national election. There should be one set of rules for a national election, universally applied in every district, mm -hmm. you know, and let the chips fall where they may. And if the Republicans don't like that, that tells you something about the Republicans and what they what they know about their actual approval level nationwide. Mm -hmm. But they, they're not going to want to do that. So, yeah, it's it's just really. Uh, really frustrating, and you know this uh, fake voter commission that's not passed going is only going to exacerbate that, I'm sure. So. Yeah, and it, it's another thing like where they were making a big deal about how you know illegals were being bussed in or something to vote or whatever, and all this stuff, and then they like they said there's been record numbers of uh, voter fraud and stuff and all this, and there were actually like I think there were about four cases of voter fraud in the 2016 election. And like three of them were Dem Republicans who did it intentionally, and like one was a Democrat who did it by accident or something. And they're like, "Oh, it's a it's a big problem." 
Yeah, they're always like, and that one. There's dead people on the rolls. It's like, well, are they voting? No, they're probably just still on the rolls because they died in between elections or something. It's like it's not that big of a deal. Like, unless somebody goes and actually votes under that name, it doesn't really matter if your name's on the rolls. And the only reason you're trying to do all these voter purges is to, like, like you said, get rid of, uh, you know, people that are more likely to vote Democrat, frankly. Yeah, this is. I, I feel like this is another one of those issues where they do a lot of kind of like obfuscanism. What's what's what, what would be the word here? They you know they try to obfuscate the issue by say, well, there are you know thousands of people nationwide, millions of people nationwide on the voter rolls who shouldn't be there anymore because you know they're dead or you know a lot of dead people voted in Chicago. Hey, hey, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, no, okay, there's dead people on the rolls, but yeah find us some evidence that anybody has gone in and tried to vote under their names and then we'll talk. But don't just, don't just throw this out there. Like this is like a scandal that's, you know, being allowed to continue by Democrats or whatever, or that, you know, only Democrat dead are on the rolls or that, you know, you know, provide some evidence that something unseemly or, you know, anti-democratic has actually happened and then we'll talk, but don't just throw these numbers out there and scare your, you know, low education voters, low information voters or what have you. With these kinds of figures, yeah. um, also, like, uh, that you, don't mean anything. Yeah, and, and think about this: like, think about what they're actually saying. They're saying that in a state where the Democrats don't need any help, California, which is where they're saying I think most of this happens, um, that all these illegal uh, people voting are somehow layering on top of the wind that, that the Democrats would get anyway in a place like California. Um, and, and, yeah. and, and then not doing it in places where it would count, like Wisconsin or Michigan or Ohio or Pennsylvania or someplace, um, you know, where it's not even that many voters, it's just like 80,000 voters can sway, uh, you know, the election in those states, whereas, you know, they're talking about like 3 million in California, it's like, even if, even if that was a plan, it's a stupid plan. Like, there's no, like, reason, reasoning behind that plan. It doesn't make sense. Like, you just, like, you don't even, like, think it's through. Yeah. yeah. Well, and speaking of California, I think I just saw something yesterday that that, she's, like, the spokesperson for the NRA or whatever. Oh, Dana Loach. The one... Whatever. Yeah. And she said something like, we need to, quick, quick, let's, like, rename California as Guam. Let's, let's have North Korea nuke, nuke California. How about that? It's like, do you know what you're saying? <laughs> you're joking about having North having one of our 50 states be nuked by North Korea. I mean, yeah, well, while, while the, those ads, the, the NRA has just completely lost whatever little mind they have left. Um, yeah, it's, it's they're just, they're they're trying to incite a culture a violent culture war in, in the United States. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's 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 sedition. It's treason. It's it's uh, you know it's. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever the word is, uh, but, um, they use their media to assassinate real news. They use their schools to teach children that their president is another Hitler. They use their movie stars and singers and comedy shows and award shows to repeat their narrative over and over again. And then they use their ex-president to endorse the resistance, all to make them march 
make them protest, make them scream racism and sexism and xenophobia and homophobia, to smash windows, burn cars, shut down interstates and airports, bully and terrorize the law abiding until the only option left is for the police to do their jobs and stop the madness. And when that happens, they'll use it as an excuse for their outrage. The only way we stop this, the only way we save our country and our freedom is to fight this violence of lies with the clenched fist of truth. I'm the National Rifle Association of America, and I'm freedom's safest place. Well, they, 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 there has been a little bit of controversy over words with them because, uh, you, you know, their campaign now is the clenched fist of truth. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, but that's what they're fighting back with, with is the clenched fist of truth. Uh, that's their new, like, slogan. Um, but okay. uh, in this latest ad uh, where they're talking about the New York Times, uh, <laughs> they claim, or she claims, I guess, that she used the word fisk, F-I-S-K, uh, which okay. is a early 2000s right-wing blogging term that refers to somebody's last name, and, and there's a whole history behind it. But anyway, she uses this, but, but she, she says it in a way where it sounds like she's saying she's going to fist the New York Times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she had to, like, you know, I guess explain that if she meant this other weird thing, but, like, it's right there in your hashtag. Maybe they do want yeah. people to think they meant this, but, like... We the people have had it. We've had it with your narratives, your propaganda, your fake news. We've had it with your constant protection of your Democrat overlords, your refusal to acknowledge any truth that upsets the fragile construct that you believe is real life. And we've had it with your pretentious tone-deaf assertion that you are, in any way, truth or fact-based journalism. Consider this the shot across your proverbial bow. We're going to fisk the New York Times and find out just what deep rich means to this old gray hag, this untrustworthy, dishonest rag that has subsisted on the welfare of mediocrity for one, two, three more decades. We're going to laser focus on your so-called honest pursuit of truth. In short, we're coming for you. Here's what happens. They thought that, that um, Hillary Clinton was going to win just like everybody else, and then they'd have another, you know, however many years of demonization to sell guns off of, but now that Trump, Mr. I might be packing at any time, is president, uh, they don't have a, you know, Barack Hussein Obama or whoever appoints you to steer people into buying guns, uh, so they have to, like, do something. they got to keep the fear up. The numbers are dropping. You just have to follow the money on these gun manufacturers to fund the NRA. Yeah, I think, I mean, and I think it's kind of like, I mean, I think that a lot of Republicans would be much happier if Hillary Clinton would have won. I mean, if you're a Republican and you're listening, just admit that to yourself. You'd be much happier if Hillary was the president right now because you could just keep bitching about everything and complaining and being the opposition party that, you know, tries to repeal Obamacare 80 times or 50 times or however many times they did. And it doesn't work. But you keep, you know, you can keep fundraising off that. You can keep saying that Obama's going to steal the guns and selling lots of guns and I mean, you know, and you can keep being the, you know, the quote unquote resistance that, you know, Democrats are trying to, you know, seize that mantle now. And, you know, it's much easier to be like the guy out of power who doesn't have to get anything done and just has to obstruct, obstruct, obstruct and just admit it to yourselves. You'd be much happier if you lost. And so just, you know, it's kind of like that scene in Raising Arizona where John Goodman and the other criminal or whatever, 
they broke out of they they dug their way out of the prison and they just you know have been trying to they're kind of like ne'er do wells who just can't get anything done right. And then at the end, they just kind of like they crawl back inside the prison. They're like, man, we're just not going to make it out here. <laughs> we better just go back inside. I, I think that's where the Republican Party is right now. You might as well just like hand everything back over to the Democrats and just, you know, go back to being these these against people. Right. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, yeah. Lots of stuff going on in the world, um, but I don't know. Um yeah, we'll see what happens with North Korea these days. Um, probably nothing will happen. I don't know. But, you know, there's always that, that chance. But if you keep rolling the dice again and again and again, you know, no matter how low the odds are, eventually you're going to come up, you know, snake eyes or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, and, you know, as far as, I don't know. I, I'm not so sure that something shouldn't be done about North Korea at some point, but I remain resolute that Donald Trump is not the person to even attempt to do anything about it. But, I mean, you know. What do you think of the argument that we just have to live with them being the nuclear powers? Mm, I don't know. It's possible. I mean, a lot of countries have gone down that way. I mean, you know, we thought it was impossible to live with the Soviet Union. Finally, the Soviet Union collapsed, um, you know. Pakistan and India seem like they're not going to use nukes on each other. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know how Tim, uh, you know, how how permanent that situation is, but um, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see a a good way. I mean, at some point, at some point, you know, Kim Jong Un's going to die, or he's going to be deposed, or. There's going to be some sort of a transition of power. I think every time there's a transition of power, there's a there's a chance that it won't be a Kim or it won't be a Kim in the the Kim Kim Il Sung line who takes over. It's I mean it could be somebody else in Korea and it would still be a Kim if you know what I'm saying. There's a lot of Kims, but uh, <laughs> but um like uh and you know but when there's a transition like that, I mean there's a chance that it could be peaceful and. It could be, you know, a reformer, although I don't know <laughs> what a reformer within the North Korean context even would look like. But I don't know, you know, it's, it's, but it's also possible that, you know, at some point things escalate with South Korea. Who knows? Who knows? I, I don't know. I mean, could we live with nuclear North Korea? I mean, we, we already are. The only difference is they can't hit every part of America yet. Um, I don't know. We probably could, but I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe George W. Bush just chose the wrong country to invade when he talked about the axis of evil. Maybe, maybe that time would have been a time to have invaded North Korea. Though at that time there was a left-wing president in South Korea who was not very favorable to America as much as the right-wingers are. And if America didn't, initiated a war with North Korea, it might have, you know, spelled the end of the alliance with South Korea to some degree, hmm. or at least damaged it in a very big way, which is still risk. Yeah. But, um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, it might have been, there's always an argument to doing something about North Korea, but there's also always also the real uh, reality that you're putting I don't know. I mean, maybe one thing to do would be to, you know, 
I, I don't know. I think like one interesting way, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. I mean, it's easy to say we shouldn't ever have a war. We should all, we should do anything to avoid a war. And maybe that's true. But at the same time, like if you're, you know, it's easy to critique from the sidelines, but if you're the president, what would you do? I mean, uh, well, I wouldn't make public threats. I have no intention of following up on. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's obviously wrong, and you know, I mean, for all we know, Donald Trump would love to follow up on those threats, right? Because you know, then, like I said, it everything else becomes less important than the war. But um, but I I, I don't know. I'm I'm not so sure. Like I mean. I don't. I don't know why America doesn't shoot down North Korean missiles after they're launched. I think. I think that would be an interesting thing, because I think you could argue that North Korea would not feel as threatened if the if the thing is being shot down outside of North Korea's airspace. Whereas if you're you know bombing inside of North Korea, even you know bombing a missile launch site or something like that, they could easily just take that as a start of a war and light up South Korea and Japan and apparently Guam and you know maybe San. Francisco or whatever now, mm-hmm. but um, you know I'm not so sure we shouldn't shoot down missiles once they're launched. I mean, once they're outside of Korea's waters, uh, you know, it could be open season on them, and it'd be good practice probably for our missile batteries or anti-missile batteries or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like you know another possibility would be you know once they're once we've once we've got them putting missiles you know on the pad. What if we hit the pad one time, just one strike, and you just say, this is a very limited strike, this is one strike, um, and then you just wait and see, what does North Korea do? I have a feeling, I, you know, and I'm not the president, I'm not having to make this decision, thank goodness, but um, I have a feeling that a strike like that would not immediately set off a war. Or could be wrong about it, I don't have the secret intel or whatever. But I have a feeling it might. Yeah, I, I think North Korea loves to talk tough as long as they can, and as long as there's no realistic, as long as they know that America and South Korea don't want the war any more than they do, they're perfectly thrilled to threaten war nonstop. But it might be the case that a single strike on a missile might not start a war. It might, you know, it might rearrange everybody's calculations quite a bit. And of course, if they if they started any kind of counterattack, then you just you 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 carpet bomb the whole country until it's over a week later, or whatever. But um, but uh, but obviously that's a hugely risky, and you really can't hardly do that without the approval of the Korean president, South Korean president, who's probably not going to give it. Uh, but um, well, I think that I think you know, the countries around them are obviously very concerned about the fallout or something like that because I think that's one of the main reasons that China, for example, said fine with Korea in as much as they do. Um, you know, they don't want that humanitarian crisis going over the borders, uh, so they would much rather uh, semi prop up the Kim regime uh, if it stops that from happening it's, you know, it's going to. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I can think of lots of solutions that you know militarily I'm, I'm not a military guy i don't have experience with this but uh what if you drop a couple nukes on the north korean border <laughs> you say okay there's a nuclear wasteland on the north korean border with china so don't worry china nobody's coming over <laughs> or you know <laughs> because i think when the war happens i think china has to be made to understand that um 
you know, that their their policy, the way they the way they've allowed North Korea to develop over the past 70 years and the way that they've allowed the situation to continue to spiral out of everybody else's control. This is the consequence of that, you know. Um, you, you know, you thought you were perfectly content to allow things to continue, and this is where they're at now. Maybe not nuclear weapons. Maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's rules about uh, sarin gas or anything like that, but maybe just a constant bombardment of the, of the border that prevents any, any kind of uh, people from trying to escape it. But I don't know. Um, other other possibilities. What if you know? What, what if America and North and South Korea had a arranged a public falling out between the two leaders? You know, what if the American president and the South Korean president had a war of words in the public, and South Korea strongly denounced America, and then America began a military campaign against North Korea? I mean. It'd look pretty. St- and if they started the military campaign without using any assets inside of South Korea, at that point, South Korea has plausible deniability that they didn't want it, they opposed it, and they were not involved in it. And so, you know, any you know, any North Korean counterattack that attacks South Korea would look uh, very, um, what can we say, misdirected, right? Of course, it probably wouldn't work either. They'd probably just attack South Korea. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, these are just these are a couple of ways that I've thought about how things could, you know, game out if you were trying to uh, trying to, you know, I don't know. You know, maybe maybe my ideas sound crazy. Probably some people in the audience are shaking their head. No, that'll never work. We couldn't do that. But the the only other option, the only other solution, is to allow things to continue the way they have been, which. Maybe it's acceptable. You know, that's another thing. We, we, no, no politician wants to say that, but like you said, maybe we should just accept North, nuclear North Korea. Um, on humanitarian grounds, I think it's a disaster, um, which is, I think, you know, <clears throat> aside from the threat to the neighbors, I think the humanitarian situation inside of North Korea is the most egregious thing about the whole situation, the most unacceptable thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, I don't know. I mean, these are just. I mean, these are just some ways I w- I w- I've thought about that. You know, if we were to have a war, I'm not. I'm not a four-star general. I've never served in the military. You know, it all may be entirely implausible. I mean, probably a lot of military people might say that the. You know, once we decide to go to war with North Korea, it's it's total all-out war. You, there's no holding back anybody in South Korea. You know, South Korea has to go all in to everybody. You know, it's a full push at that point. And maybe that's right, but. Uh, you know, another thing I've thought is like, I mean, you know, America has satellite. That's right. Mm-hmm. We have Google Earth. Mm-hmm. And I have to imagine that, you know, the NSA and the military and all these things, military intelligence or whoever, I mean, they can they, they can look at a square block of a country. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I mean, in real time, they can like they can zoom in on that. They can see that and they can see exactly what's happening there. I mean, what if we had. Well, I, you know, I don't know how many launchers we have. I don't know how many, how long it takes for a, you know, a missile to go to target or whatever one after you launch it, if it can happen fast enough. But the thing, like, what if we, you know, divided the entire North Korean country into grids and we said, okay, we're going to put this many intelligence analysts on each grid and you're just going to watch. And if, if something pops up out of the ground here on the side of this mountain and it looks like they're going to launch a missile from there, we're hitting it immediately. And if, you know, if we see troops 
leaving the leaving the city, going somewhere else on trucks or whatever. We see large formations of troops. We're hitting it. Um, any anything if we see if we see something that looks like Kim Jong Un's moving from house to house or whatever, we're hitting it. I mean, like you know, I think this this probably sounds a little sci fi ish, and it's probably somehow I'm sure there's a flaw in the plan. I'm sure we probably you know we probably couldn't launch enough stuff to totally incapacitate the whole country at the beginning of a war, but you know, I, I think I read somewhere that there are like 440 bomb sites already mapped in North Korea or something, but there's also stuff that we don't know about that's already underground and we don't know where it would pop up necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, like, I mean, yeah, it would probably take, you know, thousands of analysts watching separate screens, each one resp- responsible for a small section of the country. And then there would have to be some sort of a, you know, a thing where they can report like what they're seeing. If they're seeing like troop movement, if they're seeing, you know, a missile silo revealed under the ground, if they're seeing anything like that, they have to be able to, you know, say, okay, this is a level one priority. This is a level five priority. And they need to be able to give those coordinates out to the bombers or whatever. But I'm just saying like North Korea is a small country. You know, this is, it's not like you're bombing Russia. It's not like you're bombing in China or something like this. This is a small country. Like, okay, think about Indiana. Mm Mm-hmm. Because South Korea is almost exactly the same size as Indiana, hmm. mile for mile, kilometer hmm. for kilometer. Think about that. If you know, if if Indiana declared war with the rest of America, do you think that the rest, the military, the American military, with all its might brought to bear on Indiana, how well do you think they could control what was coming out of North, uh, out of Indiana, at any given place, right? And again, there's only one major, you know, there, there's one major city there. Pyongyang. And beyond that, they've got, you know, they've got death camps, they've got, you know, military facilities, they've got smaller towns out there, they've got, you know, whatever they've got. But I'm, but I'm saying it's in, in some ways, it's somewhat similar to Indiana in that it's not a major urban modern society. It's a, it's a rural kind of place in a a lot of the country. It's a highly, highly, highly militarized place. But I don't know. I'm just saying, I, I think like, you know, the fact that we've been under, to some degree, been under threat for the past several weeks has made me think about these things. Like, if we were going to go to war, how would the military do it? And obviously, you know, a lot of this is just like wild ideas bouncing around in my head because I haven't served, don't have any background in that in that area. And so I don't know. But I'm just thinking, like, this is a small country. Uh, you know, the, the things that they're going to want to try to do are pretty limited. They're going to want to launch a lot of missiles. They may want to launch some chemical nerve gas or something like that. They may go nuclear, but I mean, you know, how do we, how do we stop that? And another thing I think that one of the reasons they, that um, we don't shoot down missiles when they're launched or don't attempt to is because I think that like, I worry sometimes that American missile interception technology is not as, omnipotent as you know the american military would like everybody to believe and if they were actually trying to shoot down a lot of these missiles and they weren't succeeding then you know the rest of the world would say hey you know what america actually can't stop it if we want to do this yeah i mean i think that's probably uh pretty much accurate i mean it, it, and it's not even uh that you know uh, hard to figure out why it's just a hard thing to do um you know to shoot a missile out of this guy um, mm-hmm. it's not an easy feat even now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's totally understandable that that wouldn't be able to catch, even if it caught some of them, it wouldn't catch everything. I wouldn't think. So. Yeah. 
Well, I think it also probably depends on how far the stuff is flying. I mean, if, if, if it's flying from North Korea to the West coast of America, that's going to take, it's got to take like 40 minutes to an hour to two hours. I, I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's got to take, it's got to take some time at the same time. This stuff is flying much, much, much faster than the fastest airplane. Right. Well, so the, the figure I heard, at least the Guam was 14 minutes. So crap like that. However, okay. 14 minutes to Guam. That's what I heard. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, that, that. Well, I flew to Guam one time, and I can remember it took about four hours on a plane, on a, on a commercial jet. Hmm. You know, triangulate that. However, you know, may take a math person to do it, but uh, yeah. Anyways, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of a lot of things to think about, and it would help, you know, to have some background in that. But I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, um, I don't know. I don't know how much damage and how quickly America can put it out. I think. Um, I think probably, especially in the first couple hours, there would be so many targets that it would be impossible to hit them all. But yeah, that's one of the big problems we see. So, yeah. Anyways, anyways, it's something. These are the things you think about when you're living under threat of, you know, nuclear annihilation for a couple of weeks. So. Yeah, but I mean that's part of the reason that you know that Trump is is bluffing about all this is because they haven't issued like evacuation orders and they haven't done all these things that they would need to do to like you know military wise you know not that they would necessarily have time to issue an evacuation order if it was really going down but there's there's other things that they haven't done you know militarily that you know the military would would expect to happen if we were actually gearing up well i mean donald trump didn't inform the military before he tried to institute his transgender ban i mean yeah donald trump probably uh, well, I'm, my point is he doesn't care about, um, you know, following the check, correct chain of command or checking with people in the area or uh, tele- potentially telegraphing his move to North Korea or any of this stuff. I mean, like, uh, he, he has, it's seven months in. He still hasn't re- appointed a replacement for the Korean ambassador, yeah, the American right. ambassador mm-hmm. to Korea, who he fired on day one was Obama's guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're we're still sitting over here with like a like a, you know, an acting aide to camp or I don't know whatever the hell you call it like I mean it's uh, you know everything about the Trump presidency is totally half-assed so I mean it wouldn't surprise me if he's already decided to go to war but he's not going to tell everybody he's not going to tell American citizens in Korea necessarily so yeah. I don't know anyways yeah it's, well, it's I a mess this podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I guess so I don't know sorry I'm I'm kind of like I'm, I'm just pretty exhausted over here. Well, that's it's okay. Been it's a, uh, five minutes till five in the morning over here, so I should probably hit the sack uh, in. But okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we could wrap up. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, I'll try to. Anyways, should be back in October, so we should be able to record live in studio. Really awesome. looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. quest some days off so we can uh, have some time to, to hang out when you're in town. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, well, yeah. Well, have a good uh, have a good night there, Bob, and I'll uh, talk to you soon, okay? All right, uh, good talk to you. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, yeah. bye-bye.
you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast everywhere it's available, which includes iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. It really helps. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Until next time.